welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher so you never miss an episode. Leave a five-star review while you're there. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter at BlockTalkNYC, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. The Infinity Saga has concluded. Phase 4 is off to the races with no signs of slowing down. Marvel has become a titan of Hollywood with one of the strongest fandoms around. So why is the MCU so incredible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for Block Talk's first roundtable where we will discuss everything Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've assembled a team of MCU experts and fans. Please welcome nerd designer and cat enthusiast Michael Conroy, a forever friend of nerds and plants alike Mike Roberts, people watcher and TV watcher with lots to say about both its Nehemiah role, and they're just here for the movie popcorn. It's Zach Serafin, a.k.a. Zeta2k. Welcome! I love when people write their intros for me and I don't have to do that extra work. (laughs) Usually, usually when I do like the podcast for drag race, like it's something show related. This one's more fun. I like that. I I could have made you all a different Avenger, but I was like, I'm going to wait for the podcast to find out who you love the most. But how, how is everyone? How, how are we doing this summer of COVID part two? I feel like we're I'm really much- enjoying the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's taking my mind off of things, so that's that's, that's fair. That that's that's very fair. Yeah, the little break. for that because it gives you like because we've had pretty much shows back to back, so it's not like we have to sit around and wait for the movies. Now we get to have the shows, which are like just as good, if not better, than the movies. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of content. Um, for we're, we're recording on a Wednesday, which means actually today was the day that What If came out on Disney Plus. Um, we won't spoil it for those who haven't watched it on the panel, but interesting, interesting show. I liked uh, it. Really, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it goes, but I'm also like, fuck the multiverse. I'm done already. I can't do it. It's too much. <laughs> but we'll we'll get into meme nitpicking Marvel later on, but. Before we dive into this, when did you start learning about the MCU? Were you there from day one or were you one of those people who got into it as everyone else did because, you know, the the sheep got to go like a flock and see the movies? I mean, I was there from day one, the first Iron Man um, movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just a thing that my dad and I did when I was a kid, kind of just like go see um, like the big action movies that were out. No idea that the MCU was going to become the big thing that it, you, right. know, you know, become and grow into. But um, yeah, we just went to go see Iron Man and it was great. Um, and then after seeing the like post credit scene, we were just like, oh, there's going to be more. And so, <laughs> yeah, it kind of gave us some anticipation there. Um, and it just, it just went from there. Yeah. I had a similar experience, I think. Um, my mom would also take me to the movies to see uh, pretty much every, I think definitely phase one, 
unsure about phase two, but definitely phase one. But we kind of came in a bit jaded. Uh, we were some of the original folks that stuck around for the Brian Singer trilogy of the X-Men. Uh, and she picked mm-hmm. me up summer camp from like theater summer camp when I was 13 to go see the first movie in that trilogy. So we kind of had a sense of what we were in for, but had no idea it would blow up into this massive thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, um, I, I mean, I liked, com- I had never really read comic books as a kid, but, you know, I watched the cartoons and, um, you know, when the movies, st- all the movies started coming out, whether it was DC, well, DC has been doing movies here and there for a long time. Um, but yeah, I've always been into the comic book movies and whatnot. So I was there from the beginning. Yeah, I think Marvel really hooked me with the uh, Spider-Man 2 video game back in like the early 2000s. Um, But, you know, so I already liked Marvel, but then seeing Iron Man, like that movie was so amazing. Um, And then I don't even think I really knew the Avengers. So when I saw, you know, the the post credit scene, I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna actually do it. So it yeah, it's hooked me back in the day for Spider Man. You know? I I entered the Marvel world uh, when I was as a kid. I collected the X Men cards. I had all the action figures. Like that was huge for me. Like I think it was third grade. I was Nightcrawler for Halloween. Like I <laughs> I I was a big fan of of, of X Men. Uh, so yeah, when the Brian Singer X Men movies came out, I was like, "Yes, it's gonna be great." And then we had some good moments, then we had some bad moments, and then we finished. Um, but I was never really b- that big into like the Avengers um, because I was so Marvel X Men focused. Um, so I, I I saw Iron Man in theaters. I also saw the the first Hulk that's not part of the MCU, mm. uh, which really almost ruined things as well. Um, and then for whatever reason, when all these other movies started to come out, I was working, um, in theater and I just didn't have time for any of the, um, the MCU. And then it got to a point where it just blew up. Everyone's talking about it. And I'm like, well, I should probably get on board at some point. Um, and the, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what, let me rewatch the ones that or I started last year. Then I had to stop because, um, when, uh, Disney plus didn't have the incredible Hulk, I was like, well, I'm not going to buy it. It's not worth me buying. Uh, so I took a pause, restarted this year, and I think in like four or five days, I kind of finished the entire MCU because it was just that engaging. Um, so I'm, I'm excited because it reinvigorated my love for the comics and, and for the characters. Are there things that are different than what I grew up on? Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll discuss some of those differences um are there things now that are entered into the mcu technically which then affect other things yeah and we'll discuss some of those but it's it's just really fun when there's a fandom that it doesn't matter who you are as a person we all love it for the same reasons Mm -hmm. and that's what i think is so exciting about the mcu is they're 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 people like us (laughs) <laughs> I've often called it uh, one of the most delightful gateway drugs. 
Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. Think it really hooks you and pulls you not only into the MCU, but also just nerddom, period. Like you can go from yeah. here to D&D, from here. I'm making gigantic leaps, of course, but like it's just a wonderful way for you to dip your toe into one of the largest Olympic swimming pools in the galaxy. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I want to give a bit of an overview for the listeners so they know exactly what we're discussing because there, there are lots of lines in and out of Marvel, but we are focusing on the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a media franchise created by Marvel Studios set primarily in the shared universe. Starting with Iron Man, the franchise is comprised mainly of films independently made by Marvel Studios, short films called Marvel One-Shots and expanded into the television series. Between 2008 and 2019, there were 23 MCU films that were part of the Infinity Saga, which was broken into three phases. With the addition of Black Widow, we are now entered into phase four uh but we will include black widow in our chats because it's out and well i think everyone's seen it and has opinions on it um what we are not necessarily going to talk much about are the x-men series deadpool and the fantastic four and the first two iterations of spider-man uh because they don't technically count in the mcu quite yet not yet well, well, uh, after that Free Guy trailer with um, Ryan Reynolds and Tika Watiti, that just blew everything open and we're all fucked now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to focus mostly on the 23 uh, films and the three M- uh, Disney Plus series. Again, there are other series that were on ABC and Netflix. It's debatable whether they count or not. It, it really, really is hard to decide and there are no rules, but we're gonna we're gonna try to stick to this for the most part. Does that sound good with everybody? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's just get it out of the way now. Who is your favorite MCU character? Michael, we're gonna start with you because you're you're wearing it on your shirt. Uh no, not really. It's uh <gasps> actually I really love Captain America. I think Captain America is my favorite character. Okay. Which okay. is sort of a maybe a controversial choice i don't think he's everybody's favorite character um but i do identify like the mcu really got him right because he was just this skinny kid from brooklyn that you know i can do this all day um and just really like good heart and on it just like he's just the most honest nice leader uh, and it's just something to strive to be. Like he really does just accept people, even though he's wearing the stars and stripes, which is like, I find that conflict is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, and the fact also is just on a personal level. Um, when I was a kid, I had growth hormones. So I was like injecting myself when I was like a skinny little kid. So it was just this weird, like, He's skinny, he's like an artist, he's misunderstood, he's outside, but then he kind of gets this power that makes him stronger and, you know, he can actually change things. So, yeah, trick question. Right. It used to be Spider-Man, <laughs> but I'm now I'm 30, so it's not Spider-Man anymore. <laughs> okay, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, Zeta, you go. Well, who, who is your favorite? You had some time to think. Yeah, um, I I wasn't expecting. I, I don't know. I, 
didn't think of, didn't think through this through before. I actually always always um, like th the reason I like comics for the most part is because of the villains. It's rarely actually because of the uh, the the good guys. And um, so in that vein, um, it's definitely a cross between um, Thanos and Ultron. Um, okay. I mean, okay. Ultron, just because like. I mean, I think he was he was definitely under uh, underwritten and underused, but I mean, he was just so cool. Like James Spader, like it just was. I don't know. It was just for what it what it was. It was really well done, and I really I really enjoyed just his whole demeanor. And then Thanos. I mean, I just think that like I don't know. There's something about the character and the way that it was written that even though he is a villain and normally I'm not into like the the brute strength anything like um villain or good guy um but I think just the way that the, he was written was very smart and he was in a way I mean he was crazy of course and he did really bad things but he also had a point mm -hmm. um in 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 some ways and um there's just something that you almost kind of understood where he was coming from i mean i mean you know <laughs> republicans <laughs> re, 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 uh, trump republicans do make up what about half of the uh, american united states uh population so you know <laughs> that's fair that's fair just joking i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> um who wants to go next? Mike, you, that, you're next on my order. Oh, this, yeah, this was a hard one for me. Um, can I just say Wakanda? Like, sure. <laughs> it's, not a, <laughs> it's not a specific character, but just all of the aspects of Wakanda, from the technology to the culture to how they dis displayed different forms of African culture um, and just brought that joy and that beauty to the big screen and to audiences that, um, for the most part, had no idea what um, what existed within the, this huge continent with many different tribes, many different types of people, um, and um, yeah, it was just magical. Like that scene in Black Panther where they first break through the um, the invisible barrier, and you get that shot of Wakanda with the sun coming up over the horizon. Like it, that was the like that was the first time I cried in a Marvel um, <laughs> first movie. Um, it was a little tear, but it was like, it was, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah, Wakanda's my biggest, but I will say um, a character that has surprised me is um, MCU Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Because mm -hmm. I was not a spider. I was never a Spider-Man and Peter Parker fan before um, Tom Holland's iteration. Uh, I just, I don't know, something about the characterizations, it just, I, like, I felt like, okay, you're bullied, but why are you being bullied? Because you're actually already pretty cool. And then like, you, like, the naivete that, that was being displayed just didn't make sense to me. Um, and, you know, I could go on and on about, like, his relationship with Tony Stark and growing and like this father figure. But yeah, I'll, I'll end it there. So I'll say. 
<laughs> Spider-Man is my number two, um, but exactly why what you said. I was a fan of Spider-Man prior to Tom Holland. I'm not really Andrew Garfield. That one bothered me. But um, <laughs> Tom Holland was just right. It was perfect. It was, it was just so good. And I, yeah, I agree. Um, Nehemiah, who, who is your number one? Uh, well, speaking of Wakanda, it is going to be Okoye. Uh, and I think okay. it's just like, no matter, she is given such limited screen time and takes up all of it when she's on screen. And I absolutely love that. Um, also, she holds her own, you know, without the superhuman abilities of some of the people that she's fighting. So being able to mm. see this sort of assertive femme go toe to toe, and then even to remind people, actually, the tech you're trying to beat me with came from my country. Yeah. I think it's a powerful message. Um, and then also the scene in Infinity War when Scarlet Witch finally comes down from the tower, like flattens uh, part of Thanos' like fleet. And Akoya just goes, why was she up there the entire time? Like that is, a deep, <laughs> I felt that at my core, cause like, mama, if you could do all this, why are you up there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, my, my it, it shouldn't be a surprise to most people. Um, well, I will, I will say that number two would be Spider-Man, but I just don't know what it is about space babies. I just want one. I love baby Groot. I just love baby Groot. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. that is probably uh -huh. my favorite opening sequence of any movie is Guardians Galaxy 2 with um, uh, 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 Mr. Uh, Blue Sky and baby Groot just bopping around as like all hell breaks loose. It, it's brilliant. Um, so I love Baby Groot. I hate Vin Diesel, but you know what, Vin Diesel? You, you made this one work. I don't know how you did, but it's just such, that's what I love about these films. And I'll, when I do the ranking podcast uh, with the other uh, panel, we'll understand where my rankings come from. If, you're, if the movie's got some humor and joy and fun on top of all the battle, you won me over. So that's why I'm so attached to this Spider-Man and to Guardians, because it is campy, it's funny, and it's still serious. So that's where I land. I know people are gonna be like, Baby Groot, really? That's your favorite? But I don't know, just, he's fun. The well, I actually think it. at the time when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, it was like a lot of superhero movies, even Marvel, they're getting like really, really dark and like born, mm -hmm. like born supremacy, like born identity, like. So when Guardians of the Galaxy came around, it's like, aren't superhero movies supposed to be fun and colorful and not like grim and dark? Exactly. And yeah. optimistic and, you know. Oh, I have thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the MCU, um, they are um, very successful. Um, I'm going to tell you as of, I believe, August 3rd, what their worldwide gross is. 22,587,809,615 dollars. Wow. Wow. That's $15. That yeah. really puts it over the top yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I think they made it all back, so they're good. But that's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, really. It, it really is and it's it's you it, it's not shocking though yeah no, mm -mm. That, mm -mm. and when you have that kind of total you're like well it's never gonna end until like kevin feige's like i'm tired go to bed i'm peace out um it, it's not gonna end and they're gonna double that i 
probably by the end of phase four. Oh, the way things are going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because phase four is also another giant chunk of movies. I think there's like three movies still coming out in 2021. So we got a lot to go. But I want to start off and focus our discussion on the heroes and and the groups. So let's start off with the Avengers. For those who don't know, the Avengers were a team of extraordinary individuals with either superpowers or other special characteristics whose purpose is to protect global stability from inner or extraterrestrial threats. The formation of the Avengers at the hand of S.H.I.E.L.D. as portrayed in the Avengers follows the same premise as the Ultimates, a modern reimagining of the Avengers within the comic book universe. Aside from Black Widow and Hawkeye, the order in which the Avengers are introduced in the series follows the original founding lineup portrayed in the comics, although both of them become members later in different lineups. So the Avengers is really the core of the MCU. Um, And again, as we mentioned earlier, when Iron Man came out, we were thinking about the Avengers. It wasn't finalized that that was going to happen, but because that was such a success, it, it, it happened. With everyone knowing who X-Men were, how, what were your thoughts on the Avengers? Were you more pro-X-Men or pro-the Avengers? Definitely more pro-X-Men. Because I because they they were, well, when I was a kid in the 90s, you know, they had the X-Men, you know, the early 90s X-Men cartoon. And that's, that, that between that and Spider-Man, it was that and Spider-Man, you didn't have, Iron Man and Hulk and all the, I mean, they were around, they were, you knew of them, but they, they weren't popular like the, like what the movies turned them into. And right. um, so I never, it really never, even when, when Iron Man came out, I was like, oh, you know, I want to see this, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I gotta go see this movie. Like I would have been with Spider-Man or an X-Men movie. And sure. so, and then that, you know, uh, separately, DC had always been around for such a long time. So that was that was always my favorite was was Batman and, and pretty much anything DC. So if it wasn't X-Men or Spider-Man, I was like, oh, I'm not interested in it. Um, so yeah, I think that th- this helped to like bring a lot of people into a, a lot more people into a franchise that really weren't familiar with it beforehand. Now, do you think when they if they introduced the avengers as the first movie and then branched off into individual movies it would have been as successful or did they play it right and go individual and then bring them all together they played it right i mean they did make 22 billion dollars so <laughs> i think they did it. yeah um, i think it could have it could have been done it, they could have i mean kevin Feige they actually couldn't they smart. i mean they actually couldn't do it um because right, so some of them yeah yeah, I mean, like, if you go right. back with Iron Man, it was pretty much an independent movie. I mean, it, an independent movie that got uh, a $525 million loan from Merrill Lynch. Uh, but they put up uh, for, because uh, you have to put collateral up. So they put up Ant-Man, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Captain America, and the Avengers. So if Iron Man didn't succeed then Merrill Lynch would have owned those characters and Marvel would have been finished. Sure. So I think they did play it right. I think that they're, they've made their money back on that, that million dollar loan. Um, yeah, but it's just amazing that, um, and then like 
10 years after that with Captain America Civil War, they introduced Black Panther and Doctor Strange came out. So they're like flexing. They're like, okay, now we have like a billion dollars and we're going to put all of these characters in one movie because now it was, yeah. So they definitely played it right. Yeah, and also just the building of relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. how Black Widow kind of showed up as Tony Stark's assistant. Or I, I think that was her position. Yeah, when she a bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. she was a bunch <laughs> of things. And you you kind of just like got speckles of characters here and there. Hawkeye showing up in Thor, you know, and them building relationships that way um, with kind of this singular character of, um, wow, what is his name? Um, Samuel Captain? Jackson's oh Nick Fury Nick Fury yes Nick mm-hmm. Fury kind of just like coming out of the shadows mysteriously at, at the end of each movie saying like oh, okay so this is all together this is connected um and then by the time we got to Avengers we kind of saw those relationships bloom so when they were finally a team or begrudgingly a team um it meant more I think as a payoff for the viewer and I also think that they had to do a lot of character work to really identify like why they need to even get together to begin with. Uh, and I feel like each of their, or at least with Iron Man and somewhat, well, some of them I think kind of ebbed and flowed with this, but they all had moments where they realized that the world and the danger was bigger than themselves. And so because of that kind of character work, I think that allowed the Avengers to become even more cohesive despite the sort of beginnings that they had of being this kind of hodgepodge of people. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some of the individual characters. Um, Let's start off, obviously, with Tony Stark, Iron Man. He is a billionaire industrialist, a founding member of the Avengers, and the former CEO of Stark Industries. He is a brash but brilliant inventor and self-described as a genius billionaire playboy and philanthropist. Stark created an armored suit to use against terrorists as well as Obadiah Stane. In the comics, Tony Stark is a member of the Illuminati, a group of the smartest and most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. Stark's de-aged appearance in Captain America Civil War is based on Robert Downey Jr.'s appearance in the 1987 film, Less Than Zero. Before Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Iron Man, Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, Timothy Elfant, and Hugh Jackman were interested in the role. Clive Owen and Sam Rockwell were also considered for the role pre-production. So I'm going to give you these fun facts of like who was considered for certain roles, and you'll be like, how the hell will that work? Or if there's someone in that list you think would have been better, I want to hear that. But um, Iron Man is a really interesting character. I don't think I knew really much about um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. prior to Iron Man. Obviously, in the 90s, it was a playboy um, life. He had gotten into lots of trouble. And this movie kind of reinvigorated his career kind of mirroring the role of Tony Stark. So it's really cool to see that parallel and just see how he's blossomed from it. Um, but yeah, Iron Man's a really interesting character and I don't think anyone else could have played it on this list the way Robert Downey Jr. plays it. It's so smug and funny, but authentic. He's literally is Tony Stark. Like there's no other person that could play Tony. There's nobody else could play him. It's- yeah. I think it also helped that like, because a part of why I'm so happy he was able to really sink his teeth into that role is because Iron Man could really be a, bat- a Batman knockoff in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he kind of gave it his own. And also I think he had so much invested in this being a part of his comeback. So I think that also allowed for him to even sink his teeth even deeper into the role. Yeah. 
it's and it, I think Iron Man really is the glue that holds the franchise together. Is he the forefront of the MCU? I don't know. It's debatable. Well, not oh. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point it's kind of self, kind of self-sustaining. There's now there's so much content that even if like you know, and, and it kind of was that way in the beginning. Like there were some some of the earlier movies that were like, all right, but not great. Like I personally really disliked Iron Man. Th- Iron Man three. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, but like so and, and like Thor two was kind of meh, you know, yeah. and there, there yeah. were some like but and now that but now that there is there are so many and so many characters and there are there is this team that's been built and people it's just evolved and it's been able to evolve in a way that I mean I will never not want to see Tony Stark but also I think that we don't also don't need Tony Stark anymore in the beginning yeah sure we needed him we needed Captain America you know kind of keep everybody together but now, obviously, spoilers for people who may not know where things have ended. Um, if you're listening to this, I hope you you know we've watched it all. But he's dead. But we've entered the multiverse. Robert Downey Jr. is going to come back, right? He's going to be in a couple movies. It's going to happen, right? Yeah, I feel like he and he as well. Well, Mark Ruffalo is actually contractually obligated for like two more appearances. So there's that. But I can also see uh, Robert Downey Jr., I call him Bobby. I feel like Bobby will also have a similar relationship <laughs> with the uh, MCU going forward as uh, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. And, um, um, well, just bringing well, it. Go ahead. Oh no, just like bringing it back to just Iron Man as a character. I think that like he's such an asshole that I don't think you necessarily saw a superhero that was just a complete asshole. It's always sort of like Peter Parker is just like this nerdy kid, and he's really nice and you know, and the Fantastic Four, even though that movie was terrible, like they're very like kind of pure and just nice. He's just a complete dick, uh, Iron Man. So I thought that was just an interesting swerve that they did um, for Marvel just to start it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I had a friend um, tell me that they've not watched the MCU because they don't like Iron Man because of the character he is. Yeah, he's a little bit misogynistic and he's a bit of an asshole. And I said, so you're not going to watch an entire franchise because of it? And he said, yes. He's like, interesting. Wrong, but interesting. I'm going to leave that tightly packed. Tightly yeah. Packed. yeah. Um, one more thing on this. Uh, throughout the Avengers, Stark is seen wearing a Black Sabbath t-shirt, a reference to the band's song, Iron Man, despite the fact was the song was created with no link to the Marvel comic. <laughs> we love those little Easter eggs. Let's move on to Hulk. Uh, Dr. Bruce Banner is a renowned scientist and founding member of the Avengers, highly respected for his work in biochemistry, nuclear physics, and gamma radiation. He was commissioned by Thaddeus Ross to recreate the super soldier serum. When an exposure to high levels of gamma radiation went awry, the mild-mannered scientist had found that when angered, provoked, or excited, he would transform into the huge rage-fueled, nearly mindless creature known as Hulk. Hulk is one of the three protagonists to defeat the main antagonist of their debut film without any assistance, the other two being Ant-Man and Mm Spider-Man. Bruce Banner is one of the few characters who are played by different actors in different films. The others are James Rhodes, Howard Stark, 
Banjil, Thanos, and Red Skull. And before Edward Norton was cast as Bruce Banner and later replaced by Mark Ruffalo, David Duchovny, Dominic Purcell, and Joaquin Phoenix were also considered. Mm. Weird actors for that role, but this is an interesting one because obviously this is notorious for the actor change. Obviously they ended up with the right person because I don't think Edward Norton would have worked with the rest of this cast. Mm. It just wouldn't have worked. He's too dry. Yeah. I don't know. I think Edward Norton could have done it. The the first guy who was, I can't remember his Eric name. Banner. Eric Banner. Eric um, Banner. <laughs> that was just, I mean, too, so 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 too bad that he, he he you know it kind of tanked his career. But I think Edward <laughs> Norton could have uh could have done it. I mean, I think he's a versatile enough actor to be able to um to take it in a different way. I don't know if we would have gotten that nerdy side of him like Mark Ruffalo can do so well. Um, but I, I definitely would have seen a, a maybe a more leadership type Hulk um, come through. I liked I liked his a kind of aggressive, um, like the, the ending of the, of the Edward Norton film when he's like trying to control his, his transformation. And there's just something about that that was like, it it wasn't you know i i don't hate mark ruffalo's but i also got a little sick towards the end like end of the 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 third phase when you know like when he wasn't when hulk was too afraid to come out and things like that it got a little like or he was like there's there's a point where it's like you're being a little too whiny i thought mark ruffalo was like too timid at some points, even, you know, uh, Tony Stark was like, we need the Hulk, like, we need you. And even Black Widow said, we need the Hulk. And that's that, that um, almost like whatever, whatever his way of approaching that as a character um, got a little dry and boring to me. Whereas I would love to see what, you know, Edward Norton was like, all right, I got this power, I'm gonna control it. I'm gonna be a badass, you know, I don't know. What's interesting to me is the Hulk, for me growing up, was always a big character. We always knew who the Hulk was. But in the MCU, he very much feels like a secondary character, mm-hmm. even yeah. in within the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's um, uh, accidental. I think it is on purpose because if, as, as they've discussed many times, if the Hulk just smashes one, it, it's over. You can't have him defeat everyone at the beginning of the movie because it's just too easy. So that's why he always takes a backseat to so many other characters. And for me, that's why he's just not as interesting as I remember the Hulk being. It's so, I was just going to say, it's so interesting because I feel like the way that Mark Ruffalo approached the character is why I think the MCU is working. Um, It feels like his approach is I am a human with this ability or with this curse rather than I am the Hulk. And I feel like that mirrors what the MCU is doing with these are humans with abilities, not just superhumans. So it very much feels like a human response to being uncontrollable with this controllable, uncontrollable power in some ways. And so that's why I like it. But I think I agree with you um, that Mark Ruffalo can get very whiny and that does great on the nerves. Mm -hmm. As someone who didn't really read the Hulk or really know much about the Hulk, I found it very interesting that the MCU really kind of brought out that the Hulk is a completely different entity than um, 
Mark Ruffalo's I'm just forgetting Bruce Banner Bruce Banner yes Bruce Banner mm -hmm. yeah um completely different entity than Bruce Banner so like Bruce Banner might have been a main character in a lot in in towards the end of phase three but like the Hulk definitely wasn't and it was like the Hulk whining not Bruce Banner whining mm. um yeah they were kind of at odds with each other very much the Jekyll and Hyde playing up that absolutely of. All right, let's move on to Captain America. Captain Steve Rogers is a World War II veteran, a founding member of the Avengers and Earth's first known superhero. Having grown up suffering from numerous health problems, he was rejected from serving in the United States Army. He volunteered for Project Rebirth, where he was the only recipient of the Super Soldier Serum, which greatly enhances physical abilities to superhuman levels. He wears a shield. In the comics, Rogers originally drinks the Super Soldier formula, while in the movies, Rogers is transformed into Captain America through injections and radiation. Chris Evans almost turned down the role of Captain America, but Robert Downey Jr. convinced him to play the character. Sam Worthington and Will Smith were in early talks for the role. The shortlist later included Garrett Hudland, Channing Tatum, Scott Porter, Mike Vogel, Sebastian Stan, Wilson Bethel, John Krasinski, Michael Cassidy, Chase Crawford, Wyatt Russell, and Jansen Ackles. Kellen Lutz, Ryan Felipe, and Alexander Skarsgård carried out auditions in case Evans wasn't going to do the role. Captain America has the most screen time in the Avengers with nearly 37 minutes and the and Avengers Age of Ultron with just over 50 minutes. Since his introduction in 2011, Captain America has appeared in at least one film per year of the Infinity Saga. So is it safe to say that we love Chris Evans or do we love Captain America? No. I love Chris Evans. <laughs> I feel like we love Tom Monologue because truly that's why yeah. he spent so much damn time on our Right, movie. right. I've never, like, I never wanted to, I, I, I still am not, like, I like what Chris Evans did with the character. I like, I like the character enough. I, I, I appreciate in him as the, as the other co-leader of the Avengers. I don't know if it's just because he's too, you know, all-American, good boy, bright white hair or, or blonde hair, blue eyes, all that. That's like, just like blonde. not super. Right, just not super like interesting to me. Um, and you know, his like his more like, you know, not that I'm anti-America, but his like pro-America military, like that whole that whole thing is like not as interesting to me. Um, but so yeah, I guess he's not he's definitely not my favorite character <laughs> but he he did he does do it well and it's it's for what that character is i think that it's like perfectly done perfectly well done yeah now obviously for those who watch the mcu in chronological order um uh this is the first movie you start with and it's a good one to actually start off with i i really was impressed with um that movie because then it gets into some weird territory um because i'm not a fan of captain marvel at all um but yeah it's really i think captain america is just the epitome of what we want a hero to be and i think chris evans really portrayed it and he's just charming honestly he reminds me so much of any kind of character or really any character 
I'm going to get in trouble saying this, I think, any character on the West Wing in that they huh? kind of epitomize wish fulfillment. They, they are the people that we want to be us sometimes. They are the people that we want to lead us. Um, and he really tapped into that. Uh, he's also not hard to look at while doing that. So... <laughs> I mean, I will say it was a little hard to watch him um, before he got the Super Soldier Serum because you're like, this sees you guys really weird. I don't want to watch this anymore. Next. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think that actually he's um, he has a really I think he's an interesting character, but I think that's, you know, he started out like he, uh, you know, him and Bucky are probably one of the oldest. They're like hundred, like hundred plus years old. Um <laughs> which is just so crazy and like how he started out back during world war ii uh and being so pro-military and that's why he was created um even though they didn't want to use him in the movie they were like oh just sell war bonds like you're really pretty you're like you're really hot and you're captain america so put this costume on and get people to buy things like we don't want you to fight but then he gets frozen and comes back and and, you know, through the whole story, like through the MCU, he's like, he takes off the Captain America thing. He takes down S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA. And he's just like, he does his nomad thing where he does the whole black suit and drops the S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff. So, you know, it's it's not like, which I think that's kind of the strength of the MCU because he's been in so much screen time and how he's changed as a character. And the fact that he's Captain America and like they got away with that. Like, I don't, it's so crazy to me in a lot of ways. Um, and then now you talk, and now it's like Sam Wilson is Captain America, which is amazing. And it makes perfect sense. Like the character, um, just the thread of the character of Captain America really shows you the success of the MCU in a character sense. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think Iron Man, because it's like, who's going to be Iron Man? Are they well, going to do another yeah, Iron Man? Oh, we'll, we'll get into that Captain later. America is a better character than Iron we'll Man. We'll get into that later. Um, uh, for those who have explored the uh, Marvel Wiki, if you search for Captain America expecting to find things about, about Steve Rogers, you're not going to find a single thing because they've changed it over uh, to Sam Wilson. I'm like, oh my God, you're really on top of this shit. But okay, why? We're really keeping the MCU updated. But yeah, no, I, th- I think Captain America is a really interesting character. His arc makes sense and it, it's handled well. The next person we talk about, his arc is all over the fucking place that I don't even, I, I don't even know at this point. Are we ready to move on to our next person? Yeah. It, it's, it's Thor. Um, <laughs> Thor is the Asgardian god of thunder and a founding member of the Avengers. When he was denied the right to become king, he was banished to Earth by Odin. Thor is best known for his hammer. In the comics, Thor is the son of Odin and the primeval Earth goddess Gaia, rather than Frigga. Although Thor is briefly seen wearing his iconic winged silver helmet in the beginning of Thor, he quickly discards it. Chris Hemsworth admitted that the helmet was incredibly uncomfortable and was removed from the costume. Thor is the third character in the MCU to understand Groot, the first being Rocket and the second being Star-Lord. Chris Hemsworth was originally on the shortlist to play Thor. Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Paul Levesque, Daniel Craig, Charlie Hunan, Tom Hiddleston, Alexander Skarsgård, and Joel Kinnaman were considered for the role. Thor will be the first lead character in the MCU to have more than three solo films. 
Hmm. For me, I, I, when we first met Thor, great origin story. Second movie, atrocious. Third movie, Ta- uh, Taika Waititi was like, we're just going to fuck everything up. And that's why I think Thor's arc is just not, doesn't make sense to me. Like, fat Thor with, it, it, why? Why are we, what, where are we going with this? Um, because it's, it's, it doesn't fit the rest of the Marvel world, but I only think Taika Waititi is capable of making that work. Yeah. I how, think, how do we feel about Thor? I, I definitely think that the first movie was like, okay, great. This can be a thing. And the second movie, they really leaned too hard into the serious direction. And I feel like Thor isn't working unless it's somewhat funny. And I feel like Taika brought out the essence of Thor as far as why we like to see him because mm-hmm. When Thor is in Camp Thor, that is one of the most beautiful things to see on screen. Like when he uh, just goes into that mode gifted by Taika Waititi, I think that that's kind of what I, and how I want to see my Thor going forward. Not as serious, but someone that definitely leans to the fact that he is his other being in this world of mortals. Yeah, I mean, Kenneth Branagh really spoke about um, the first movie being very Shakespearean. And that's kind of how he got Anthony Hopkins to be a part of it. And they treated it like a piece of Shakespeare. You can tell, but that's not the MCU. You couldn't do, you couldn't really make Thor interact with some of the characters later on, unless you really adjusted his arc. I think that, I think that it's interesting because he's, he's not human. And Mm -hmm. there's, there's, to me, there's something about, you know, he's older than any of them. He's, you know, he's, he's a God. He's, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's like, he can be different things. Um, I didn't mind. I mean, even though it was a little crazy, I didn't mind the fat Thor. Um, I, I thought it was a little, it was a little, um, a little not believable because it was just like, it was a little too far. Right. But I, I like what you were saying about like not understanding where his arc is. I, I think that is what's interesting is that his arc can kind of be a number of different things. And while that Shakespearean you know, way of doing it wouldn't have worked in the long run, I think that there, what's so cool about the MCU in general is that there, there's like this group you know, of the, of the Avengers or the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever, but then those characters can split off and be a different type of movie or a different vibe or a different like you know captain america can be like a political thriller or you know there's there's different almost it can allow for different genres which i think allows for some characters to be able to bounce around in different genres themselves like i couldn't imagine captain america going the route that I mean, it just that wouldn't make sense. No, not at all. For, for me, but he dips was, in, he dips in and out. You know, like he's not always there. He he sometimes he's off in Asgard. Sometimes, so he's not like an Earthling part of this Earth team, like what you were saying before. Humans with powers. Mm-hmm. He's literally a completely different being. So I think that that's kind of. Uh, same thing with like Loki, even like look what they do do with Loki. Like he's good and then he's bad and then he's good and then he's kind of bad and then he's kind of good. Like, but he's able to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thor's like interesting to me because even though I loved um, the th- like Thor in the third movie, I think that was like my like my favorite Thor. I didn't really appreciate 
and respect Thor until um, the Infinity War, because mm -hmm. I felt like before that, he's always kind of been seen in relation to another character. So like in the first two Thors, it was Jane Foster. Then it became, then it's like always and forever Loki and trying to fix that, you know, hard relationship. But that was the first time in Infinity War where he was on his own, on his own in a leadership position and kind of having to bring back life, not only his people, but himself. So yeah, I don't know. It made me, yeah, it just made me see him in a different way mm -hmm. and finally see him, I guess. That's fair. I, I find Thor, like it's, yeah, like he doesn't really have an arc. He does, he just has like, there are movies there. Like what, I mean, what is the, you know, it's, uh, but I do find it interesting how um, like having a Norse god, like, like actually, like the character of Thor and Loki are like so old, like they've been around for so long that it's it's just interesting to have that continue on in, uh, <clears throat> in like a modern cinematic universe, uh, and so I just find that interesting. Um, I think Crimson. Chris Hemsworth is uh, really hot, so that's really great. And he's mm -hmm. he's shirtless a lot, so that's uh, awesome. Um, when Thor, when Thor got the haircut, I was like, okay, this is the Thor yeah. I'm here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But he's he is sort of like they just do whatever they want, like with him, like right. oh, it's funny, or he's Shakespearean, or okay, now he's gonna be fat, or you know, or oh. And he, you know, and now in the next movie, the behind the scenes picture, he's even more jacked than he's ever like straw like. Um, so yeah, it's he's they just yeah, it's he's not the most interesting character, um, which is a little disappointing because he had because Thor has been around for so long, like in human history, um, but he'll he was never really that interesting. Yeah, anyway like in the if you go back uh loki was always he's loki is his foil and without loki he really thor really needs somebody else to be there to bring in that um that conflict which is actually a lot has a lot to do with captain america as well um where it's like he captain america also needs black widow um or bucky barnes or the winter soldier to create that conflict because thor doesn't thor is just thor and he doesn't really worry about anything um except for getting his hair cut he doesn't <laughs> like that part um yeah but he's definitely needs a foil to really bring up the the character in him which is like mm -hmm. not much yeah, that's fair um Let's talk about some of Thor's new friends, the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy are a band of intergalactic outlaws who team together to protect the galaxy from planetary threats. Following the success of the first film, every media incarnation of the Guardians has been specifically based on the MCU version of the team. Rocket is the only member of the team to have never died in some form at least once. I didn't know the Guardians of the Galaxy prior to their movie debut oh my god i'm obsessed um this is the humor i'm looking for in a movie where um you like 
I love Parks and Recreation. So Chris Pratt is like, I know he's a little problematic, but like he is excellent on screen. He is charismatic. He is funny. He's stupid. And that's, he makes Star-Lord so great. But then you have the rest of the team and like, if you didn't know who they were, you'd never know that was Vin Diesel or Bradley Cooper doing some of the best voice acting ever. Um, I just think this franchise is so much fun and maybe it's because the expectations were so low because I didn't know them, but they they really have blossomed into some of the best characters in the MCU. I felt like don't get don't get mad at me. I'm sure there'll be people Uh-oh. who do. But I felt like um, I when I first saw Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, this is like a modern day Star Wars. This is like mm, this absolutely. Oh yeah. Wars. Um, just in the in the way that it in in everything that it does, and I mean not technology wise per se, but just the way that it it this the story is, and the way that they're able to incorporate because so many times, and even Star Wars, which I'm sorry, I'm not a huge fan, um, is is th- there's you know when you or anything you have all these other races and how they interact, and it's also often either like they're completely something completely different that's not even like relatable or, and then there's something or they're they're pretty much a human with something a little bit different about them but this was able to kind of and i think this is a, the magic of what uh james gunn can do because if you watch the suicide squad that just came out um he's able to take this like just super random like all sorts of different things and put them together in a way that works and that's what I loved about it was that like we could get we could like have feels for Rocket or Groot, and they there were these it was this like kind of able to take this community almost it's like put like a community completely different completely different everything and um, put it in, a, in together in a really well written and acted movie. I completely agree with uh, what you're saying about James Gunn. It definitely has the James Gunn treatment. Um, and I feel like he's really known for just subverting tropes or trying to. And that can feel like a patchwork of things, but humor can be that through line. And so for me, it feels like Guardians really made use of humor as that through line because it was kind of, I guess, subverting the space opera in a way to your point about Star Wars. Um, and that's what I liked about it. Uh, and I feel like the rest of the MCU was, was like learning from his kind of humorous storytelling and really benefited from having this film in particular um, as a part of its universe. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Peter Quill is definitely um, Han Solo. Like that, he has modeled that character after him. Um, but the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy is the reason why Glenn Close is in the MCU is just amazing. She's in it for like, what, 10 minutes? Yes. She must have had the best time on that set. Not a single hair moved on that wig. And I <laughs> no, it did not. But yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Guardians, and I can understand why it's not everyone's favorite. Because it is, I mean, up until this point, this was really a bit of a jarring um, uh, turn in the MCU because we hadn't seen anything like this. But I just think it's just so much fun, and um, they're new, fresh characters. And Again, as problematic as he is recently, I think Chris Pratt is a great leading man for this kind of uh, series. Mm. 
Uh, well, I think like with Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, if you talk about Thor not having any character, like all of them are full of character and conflict. I mean, they started as villains. I mean, like I, um, Nebula, which I guess is a part of the Guardians now, you know, she was just so, just a really mean person <laughs> and she still is. But, um, you know, it's like they change. It's like they change and grow um, as characters, which is, you know, the opposite of Thor. I mean, I love Rocket Raccoon. Um, up for, like, he's also one of my favorite characters. He's, you know, he's been through a lot. <laughs> you know, he, Rocket Raccoon has been through a lot. I mean, we barely have any back, like barely any backstory, like you know, wasn't he like experimented on and like, you know, what happened? How was he even created? And like, but he's, he was created against his will and then he's disrespected all of the time. Um, so, you know, but he's still, but the fact that he has friends, these misfits, they come together and he's able to like learn, you know, you know, he didn't have to steal the batteries i don't know how like how many references but you know guardians of the galaxy 2 he's like you know sometimes people steal batteries and they don't you know when they don't need to or whatever so it's just like it's really great that they're dynamic and they're able to grow as characters so i that's why it's successful and baby Groot is cute so mm -hmm. that's you know that's good too all right Spider-Man. Peter Parker is a high school student who gains spider-like abilities fighting crime across New York City as the alter ego Spider-Man, hoping someday to live up to his heroes in the Avengers. In the comics, Peter Parker is bitten by a radioactive spider that granted him superpowers. Upon the death of his Uncle Ben, he decided to become a selfless hero. Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Black Widow are the only characters in the MCU to receive a solo movie following their debut. Spider-Man is one of three superheroes who defeated the main antagonist of their first standalone movie without any assistant. He is the second superhero to star in two solo films in the same phase, with the first being Iron Man. And then Asa Butterfield, Charlie Rowe, Judah Lewis, Matt Lintz, and Charlie Plummer were the final contenders for the role of Spider-Man. I, I, we've already mentioned it, but I think of the three Spider-Men that we've had in post-2000, Tom Holland is my favorite. Um, I know that this version of Spider-Man goes against so much of what we knew about Spider-Man, um, but I'm okay with that. I don't know why I'm okay with that because there are other things in the MCU that I'm like, no, go back to the origin story. Um, this one I'm okay with because I think they treated it so well and they 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 play they paid attention to the details and made sure the viewers still had the Peter Parker they knew and loved while me bringing it into this new version of it. Well, I like, I'm my favorite st still, it, well, it was to Tobey Maguire. I mean, save for Spider-Man 3. <laughs> um, but I think that he did, I think he did that, that version of Spider-Man the most justice. And I think it was really well done. Um, I think that what you're, to, to what you're talking about is, with, with this Spider-Man, why it's different is because it's written for and was very smart. They updated it. They updated everything about him. Yeah, he wasn't quite a loser. He was, 
or he, you know, an outcast. He might have been different, but like there's things about him they modernized him, and I think that um, just even in the cast of his his friends, the diversity in it, the 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 way that they're played, the way that they treat each other, like I think that now if you would do a Tobey Maguire version or like what Spider-Man really is, it it, it wouldn't read. It's like there's a lot of things like Iron Man's not actually an, a man is not his suit's not actually iron, right? There's a lot of things that like back when they were originally written, it made sense in those times, but now it's like it just wouldn't it just wouldn't really make sense. It would seem dated. And so this was new and fresh. And I think that that's what they did really smart and what was refreshing about it in, in general. I was super happy about the timing of this movie. And so for me, it felt like we got a breath of fresh air, a break from all these sort of gigantic battles to something a bit more local, something a bit more grounded. And I think it gave the audience just like a break from trying to keep up with the with all of the gods and monsters and tights and capes of it all. It really made uh, kind of superhero storytelling very digestible, especially for it to be in New York as well. Yeah, I mean, he's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So they definitely brought it back down to that yeah. level. Um, also, just like the fact that it looks like he goes to school in Queens, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think also just the fact that they introduced him after kind of having that relationship with Tony Stark, the tech that is a part of his movies is just so cool and just updates. <laughs> This, the Spider-Man um, aspect so much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate this version of Spider-Man. Um, and again, I'm okay with the changes because they smartly did it. Um, and, and the cast is really good. I mean, Michael Keaton as a villain? Yeah, I'll take it. Playing another bird? I'll take it. <laughs> and Zendaya, come on, who doesn't love Zendaya yeah. at this yeah. point? Also, Flash Thompson, the way that they approached his mm -hmm. character, uh, right. the whole characterization around that, I thought also was a way of updating it to make it feel like less that Peter was Daniel and Flash and the world was Goliath, but there was some kind of like evil playing field there. And it was more about him being another kind of outcast at school. Even the like younger Aunt May. Marissa like... well, Tomei is the aunt. <laughs> Loved. Right. Yeah. Now we'll, we'll get into a little bit of what the next Spider-Man movie is going to do and how it's going to fuck everything up uh, with the multiverse and uh, the rumored casting that may happen, which they're keeping very much under wraps. If it is true that the other two will make an appearance, will that mess things up for you? I, I mean, I just hope that it's not I just I feel like I wish I want I kind of like right now how it's sort of like yeah like this is happening but it's not necessarily like affecting sort of the main like storyline that they have but I'm also like give me an alligator Loki and like go bonkers because that's kind of like <laughs> what like superheroes do I mean if you it's they can basically do whatever they want visually with just like the cgi it's just like maybe it just go and just go Listen, crazy sometimes if like, if, if mary kate and ashley olsen are not variants of wanda at some point they all failed. i mean come on I mean, that would be brilliant 
<laughs> Look. Also, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Elizabeth Olsen with her sisters. She's like almost a foot taller than them. It's really freaky. Um, but come on, that, that's the variance. I exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's move on to Black Widow. Natasha Romanoff, also known as the Black Widow, is one of the most talented spies and assassins in the entire world and a founding member of the Avengers. As a child, she was indoctrined into the Red Room and briefly lived as the surrogate daughter of Alexei Milena while they were undercover. Working as an operative for the KGB, she was targeted by S.H.I.E.L.D. before given the chance to defect to the organization by Clint Barton. In the comics, Black Widow is the product of a Soviet super soldier experiment and has had relationships with Bucky Barnes, Matt Murdock, Tony Stark, and Clint Barton. Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during the filming of Avengers Age of Ultron, so many of her scenes were scheduled early in filming before she began to show. To help hide her pregnancy, three stunt doubles were hired. This caused a bit of confusion among the actors as they all looked very similar to Scarlett Johansson. The role of Black Widow was originally offered to Emily Blunt, but she turned it down. Gemma Arterton, Jessica Alba, Jessica Biel, Natalie Portman, Eliza Dushku, and Angelina Jolie were also considered for the role. I, okay, I, Black I, Widow. I, are we fans? Are we not fans? Or is Scarlett Johansson just hard to digest? I feel like, okay, can I just, one thing, uh, Elizabeth Dushku could have just definitely kind of like slotted in there pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. I would definitely see her um, being, like, wasn't she, like, a Buffy type? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, she totally could have gone in there. Um, yeah, uh, Scarlett Johansson, she's uh, one of the most successful. That's crazy how much money she, that's, like, 20, how much, like, what, does she have $2 billion of that $22 billion from Marvel? Like, um but you know, I like. I think Black Widow is a interest. It, it she again is sort of those character that is interesting, but yet ignored by the MCU. There could be so much more. And the Black Widow movie, of course, you got to see that, but um, it's a little bit, a little too late. Uh, um, you know, and, I think. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. And then I think it's. Uh, just her character and how she is portrayed. Like, even with her costumes, if you look at the costume of uh, Scarlet, uh, Scarlet, I would say Scarlet Widow, Black <laughs> Widow, um, how in the second, when she's in the second Iron Man, it's just like tits out, just sex, just, you know, she's a sex object to Tony Stark. Um, she, like, even Tony Stark says, you know, when I want one about her, like, I want one to Pepper Potts, just, like, totally objectifying. And then you get to Avengers Endgame, and, you know, she is, has uh, the vest from, which we learn about the vest from Black Widow, and how she's definitely taken more into that soldier and assassin and not in being removed as, like, a sex object. Feel like they really like tone that way down as her character goes it's still there but like it's so overt and in iron man 2. it's so interesting that you mentioned that because like i until you've said it i didn't really think about the well of course how she was introduced as this like kind of sex figure and i feel like while she didn't retain that she definitely went to another male fantasy which is like one of the guys um I also appreciate how at the same time, 
a lot of that transition led to more practicality to how she appeared. And so while the intention and maybe the maybe not intention, but while what happened was just a shift from one male fantasy to another, the outcome was ideally also just a more practical approach to the character. Practical approach yeah, I, I, now, you're saying, you mean? Yes, 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 now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that like very similar to what we were talking about, what I was saying about Spider-Man and like needing to be updated. I mean, if you made, if they released Iron Man today, I don't, I wouldn't do well. I don't think it would. I, it, it, that's, no. that's over a decade ago. So many things have changed in, in the past 10 years that you can't, you know, there's so many, so many, so much content from 10 years ago, even that um, is just not palatable, you know, like something that anybody wants to watch these days. And I think that that's, she got caught in that and that's unfortunate. And I don't, I think that that's too bad. And they had to somehow kind of retcon what they were doing as a studio. But at this point, it's like you said, Mike, Michael, it's might be a little, it's a little too late for it to, I don't think for, for audiences, like to, for like what an audience or a fan would want, but it's kind of, it does have a little bit of a, it's a little too late um, to give her that kind of presence, which is super unfortunate because, you know, she is a very interesting character and she's been there. She's been there in almost mm -hmm. every movie. You know, she's, Samuel Jackson has been. And um, I think it, also there's a little, I don't know, she's had, uh, Scarlett Johansson had some problematic things happen as well too. So I think that that's a little, it's been a little hard to always like take her seriously as an actress but yeah i mean that that's my my issue with um black widow is scarlett johansson i can't see anything but scarlett johansson it's hard for me to see her as the character because everything she does is the same um like even when she has the slight accent in the movie i'm like isn't that the same fake accent you tried for jojo rabbit like it's all the same for me and also like for me, I'm a little disheartened by this lawsuit um, because in my eyes, wouldn't you be getting more out of the way they're doing it? Wouldn't you get more money? Because I wouldn't have gone to the theaters to see Black Widow, but I purchased it on Disney Plus. So aren't you going to technically get more money for people who are going to stream it? So I'm I, not sure how I feel about her lawsuit, but well, I, I, think I feel contract, like it's going to be the end of her. No, I think her contract is like... Um, it was like based on box office return. Yeah, it was based on box office. So um, and uh, I think she's fine. I think she's done. <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically she's dead. But see her in a movie ever again. Uh, I think she might be like maybe not done, but as far as the MCU, maybe done in in front of the screen. I don't think she's done off that production. I, I can see her taking on maybe possibly. Uh, director role, you know, on one of these movies, especially if she continues to consult or be a part of the Black Widow universe in some way. I can right. see her taking on other projects in the MCU where there is a strong female in a more spy espionage type role as well mm -hmm. to kind of give it a more a, a more equitable treatment, ideally. Especially if Yelena is a bigger character, yeah. because I mean, you got Florence Pugh, you might as well use her. Right, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Black Panther, T'Challa is the king of Wakanda and the the holder of the Black Panther mantle. 
Following the death of his father in the bombing attack by Helmut Zemo, Takala set out to kill the Winter Soldier but joined the Avengers Civil War, siding with Iron Man. In the comics, Black Panther was a member of the Avengers and a member of the Illuminati. Michael Kenneth Williams expressed interest in playing Black Panther before Chadwick Boseman was cast. This was the game changer of the MCU. Black Panther changed everything because not only was the visibility necessary and beautiful to see, um, just visually one of the most beautifully stunning pictures I think ever. Yeah, uh, my favorite thing about the movie, well, several things, but for me in particular, is just how distinctive the score is. And I feel like yeah. they could have gone with any other, you know, uh, James Horner, Hans Zimmer type person who would just bring in 12 French horns, so on and so forth, and blow us all away. And the very fact that uh, the composer, Ludwig Gornson, uh, the centerpiece of the entire score was the Singhalese um, talking drum, I thought just was, okay, all of how special they want the movie to be trickled down to even the actual score. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful film, and you know what? It's a pretty fucking awesome cast. Uh, yeah, it's like a who's who. Angela fucking Bassett, <laughs> an actual queen, like she was born to be. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they got her in an MCU movie, just yes. like Glenn Close. Like, who would have thought that would happen? I mean, also, I think it it really uh, introduces a whole like. There is a really a subgenre of it's like Afrofuturism where it's sort of like there is I love like I love sci-fi and I love how but it is like actually it's really I think introducing people on a massive scale to a whole subgenre of of science fiction um, that they wouldn't know about and I think it's just fresh and um, it's just unique and it's just uh it's an amazing movie and the costumes are amazing just the setting is just so great and it's i mean i love i think one of my favorite things from that movie though is like uh when sherry's like calling the guy colonizer oh yeah. like hilarious that's so good um yeah and chadwick boseman was amazing as black panther um and he again he's just like i was really looking forward to him uh because black panther was definitely is the leader was the next leader of the avengers and just smart and regal and strong uh, somebody that anybody could look up to um and aspire to be so i just and like it's it's just an amazing feat and that movie and the character as well so I'm, I'm i'm gonna be interested to see how they do handle the next movie obviously they have to readjust a little bit but i i don't think anything's really going to change i think it's still going to have that spirit that chadwick boseman brought into the role and it's still going to be an incredible movie and I, I i'm excited i'm excited for the future of these characters mm-hmm well, Sherry is great. I mean, it's like Wakanda uh, is like favorite. Uh, it's it's because Black Panther did such a great job of uh, not just focusing on one character, and it's like it wasn't an origin story. It was, but it was also it was an origin of Wakanda and an origin of it's completely changes 
the MCU and just superhero movies in general. I, yeah, it's just an amazing thing. So. I also like how, at least from Marvel's, um, Marvel's standpoint, it wasn't just a one-off because they were able to, you know, make Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which touched so much on um, African-American experience and racial inequities and injustice and, and, and um, especially in a, like the, the times that we are in the culture that we're in right now. Um, it was able to to demonstrate that, like, because I'm sure there's were probably plenty of people who are like, oh, well, like, I don't relate to that. You know, that's why I'm not going to go see that one movie where every other movie is all, all if not, it's mostly, if not all white characters. And it was nice to see that that it could could, in fact, be a leading movie that that um that everybody that that works for everybody and in every way and has it has ring what am i trying to say uh not rings true but like um can can touch everybody in its own way and then also prove that like it can be it can be redone this wasn't just a a flash in the pan and let's go back i mean they they kind of did i it, i mean i'm glad that marvel is headed towards more diversity and inclusion i mean obviously media and as a whole neat has a far way to go um but at least it you know it, it gave i think uh i mean i i remember i mean i obviously i can't um relate to it in every single way but there were a lot of parts of it that i was like like i i can relate to this like as a gay man being you know like finally seeing myself represented you know when, when you see yourself represented that's that's so great and it's so powerful and like my mo my boyfriend is not really into superheroes but he's really excited for um uh Shang Chang Shi I can't pronounce <laughs> and the 10 rings coming up um and uh because it's like he's he's Asian and he can finally like he's like wow that's really interesting that they're finally um able to able to do that and hopefully do it you know hopefully do it well yeah. I think it was like super pivotal for them to have um, Black Panther as well, just in story-wise, narrative-wise, mm -hmm. where the MCU can go. Um, I mean, like you were saying, Afrofuturism and just the technology that they brought in that movie. And we've already seen that effects in the Infinity War um, and Endgame. Um, but also just the fact that, you know, Black Panther has this um, relationship with Namor, you know, so that could potentially bring in future X-Men things. And then they also have this, you know, Earth is Earth, and then they go to space and they have a huge space empire, which could bring more um, of the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff into there as well. So, you know, it's, it's also just kind of like a way to open up the gates to the rest of the comic book verse that they can kind of take things from. Um, to make it to future movies. Yeah, let's go no, from. Okay, go ahead. Well, I think well, the other thing about Black Panther as character and then Wakanda and how it's not a one-off. And it first of all, it made so much money; it was amazing. Um, <laughs> but also, like, they're like, okay, we're not just gonna make our token movie. We're gonna take Wakanda right. and just like this yeah. is the center of the MCU now. So like anything, Infinity War happened there, like the giant battle. But then learning more about like vibranium and all that stuff, like it is the center of the MCU. It is the most important place 
in the MCU. It's not like, oh, we can always sort of like, no, fully it's, it's, it's really interesting what they're doing with it. They have to be real careful with that though. Because there's some mishandling and some missteps they can do with making it the center point, uh, the center point and focal point of this, uh, the story going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go from one of the best Avengers to one of the worst, Hawkeye. Um, Clint Barnes, also known as Hawkeye, is a skilled marksman, a former special agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and one of the founding members of the Avengers. Known for his use of bow and arrow as his primary weapon, Barton had become one of the best agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. responsible for the recruitment of Black Widow. He had to be there. That's why he's there. But Jeremy Renner, come on. Why do we hate Hawkeye? I like Jeremy Renner as, I mean, I don't know anything about Hawkeye other than what's been shown in the movies. And hopefully the up, his upcoming series will open expand that for us. But as Jeremy Renner, like, I mean, as a quiet guy, like minor side care, whatever you want to call him. I mean... He does he he does the trick. I mean, the most interesting thing was when he was kind of going uh, going rogue and 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 took on his Ronin uh, persona. That was probably the most interesting we've ever seen him um, for that like ten seconds. But I don't I don't hate him because it's Jeremy Renner. Just too bad. Uh, very similar to Black Widow. They didn't they never gave gave him that that. They never really invested in that character, and yet they still kept him around. Which normally you don't really invest in the character; they get killed off or written off or some some form of the other. But they never were really grounded in anything too much um, until now. And now it's like, well, yeah, but there's so many. There's 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 53 other characters that we're more interested in at this point. So. I mean, I always go back to the SNL sketch um, when Jeremy Renner was guest hosting and all the, the Avengers are doing crazy things. They're like, what do you do? And he's like, I have like a tiny bow and arrow. Yay. And it's like, that's the joke. Is like, what does he do? He's a regular person. Um, and yeah, it, it hasn't really been fleshed out. And unfortunately, based on the lore of Hawkeye, what the Hawkeye series is going to be is passing the baton. It's not even going to be about Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, he really is not getting his shake in the MCU. Um, so it's a little bit unfortunate. Yeah, it makes you wonder why they saved him when right. Black Widow had to get the Soul Stone. Like, they're <laughs> I, like oh, I, he has a family, but then they make a whole movie about Black Because Black. you wouldn't have felt bad <laughs> if he died. Yeah. You would have felt bad if she did, not him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they kill him off in the series, though the Hawkeye series, and then we'll see. Um, we'll see. Yeah, no, and then yeah, um, Hawkeye. I think uh, he might have made. He would have maybe maybe make more of an impact if he wasn't just in a black, like you know, like a costume. They didn't give any costume personality to him or anything. He's just sort of like um, Nick Fury's you know right hand man pretty much so he's his bitch he's nick fury's bitch well, I feel like and very similar to like black widow i think they both could have very successful and more fleshed out stories if it was a different kind of story they're both great tacticians both great in, in, in stealth mode and you really can't 
do stealth mode in the current construction of the MCU. They like kind of big and flashy, except for maybe a Disney Plus series where the stealth is the focal point of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I know know we're like, like, for example, the Netflix Marvel shows where they were Mm. um, like, you know, just like, yeah, but, you know, they, they kind of like pared it down. It wasn't these, you know, intergalactic superheroes fighting, which, you know, Scarlet, uh, not Scarlet Witch, Black Widow and (laughs) Hawkeye have shown that they can hold their own, but it's still just like, yeah, I guess not, their fighting style and what they do isn't flashy. And they're they're not really there for the big brawls, you know, they're, they're spies. So why not give us like, even a like a buddy cop spy film could have been great with the both of them together. Mm um talking about where, the, where, was, where did they say oh uh Budapest, Budapest? yes yeah, yeah. Budapest. yeah mm-hmm. we'd love to see that and he didn't show up in the Black Widow movie which I like he could have it's like they're kind of like trying to mess with us or something I don't know what it is like Hawkeye is just so anyway Shouldn't we just move on uh, from Hawkeye? Yeah, <laughs> let, let's move on to like the real buddy cop movie of the franchise. And let's talk about Ant-Man. Uh, Scott Lang is a former convicted thief who was struggling to pay child support for his estranged wife and visitation rights for his daughter, Cassie Lang. With the promise of money, he was convinced by Hank Pym to take on the mantle of Ant-Man, a superhero with advanced suit design to shrink its wearer to a tiny size while increasing one's toughness, agility, and physical strength. Um, let me get my notes. Here we go. Um, Scott Lang is the first character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has taken over the mantle of a former superhero, followed by Robbie Reyes and Hope Van Dyne. Before Paul Rudd was cast as Ant-Man, Adrian Brody, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Simon Pegg, and Ewan McGregor were in the running for the role. I love Paul Rudd, so I do have a soft spot for Ant-Man. Um, that first movie was a heist movie and that was different than mm-hmm. any other Marvel movie we've, we have gotten up to that point. And it was kind of exciting. I was here for it. He made, he would, he of that list, I think makes the most convincing dad. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sorry. You, I can't watch you and McGregor in anything else and not think of star Wars. So yep. Good, 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 good call there. But yeah, I enjoy Ant-Man, but I feel like Ant-Man's just, kind of underrated and if it wasn't Paul Rudd I don't think anyone really care as much I think it's hard to make I think I mean while I don't know I think it was kind of hard to make it um, I mean it's a pretty impressive impressive ability to be able to shrink you know like that I mean it, it is but I think that it's um I don't know. It's weird. It's like they even make a joke about it. Like Ant-Man is everybody an animal or something like that. Like <laughs> yeah. there's something about that. Like Spider-Man sounds cool. Ant-Man doesn't particularly sound cool. And maybe if they would have made it serious, we would have felt more seriously about him. Um, but there's something about, I don't know, there's just something about it that was, I mean, it was a great movie and I, li- I like Ant-Man as a character. I like everything that they've done with him so far, but it's like, can't quite take that. Like he'll never, I don't think ever be able to be at this point a, a leading, a, like a leading character when it comes to the Avengers. Right. He'll be in his own movie for sure. Um, and unfortunately I do feel like um, 
that I feel like whenever the wasp is in the scene with him, she just takes over the whole scene. And there's like, that's kind of, it would, it would just kind of like, kind of deflates him even more. <laughs> and it's the, it's the problem of sketch comedy because she is the straight man of the scene and it's Paul Rudd. So he's always going to be the jokester. And Evangeline Lilly is very attractive and very poised and sometimes more enjoyable to watch on screen because Paul Red's just a goofball. But yeah, it's, I enjoy Ant-Man and I think it, it was a very smart and interesting choice for them to go with the Scott Lang version of Ant-Man instead of the Hank Pym version mm-hmm. because watching that relationship isn't the same as the Tony Stark uh, Spider-Man relationship, but it is this, this sort of parental connection of more of a grandfather and a father all looking out for their child. And that's the connection the two of them have. Yeah. Uh, like, and I think Ant-Man, the character, does a, is like does a really great job of bringing together the sort of fantastical, uh, big elements of the MCU, but then also having a smaller scale. Because the Ant-Man is like pun not intended, but um, the smaller scale of just trying to get a lab or like a heist, but then also like you can shrink down and have all of those sort of like crazy big cgi battles but it's happening in a suitcase so it really blends together the two sides of the mcu um and it, it's yeah it's underrated definitely i would say ant-man and the wasp will we ever get a solo wasp movie i'm no. wondering <laughs> <No>. is that <laughs> probably not I mean, but um, the the Ant-Man and the Wasp did give us our second favorite Catwoman to be in the MCU. So that was exciting. Mm -hmm. Obviously, our first being Eartha Kitt. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would also love to see, um, well, it makes, Ant-Man makes me think of like Hank Pym. I I would, I think it would be cool if they did go back because just having another like period uh, superhero movie would be cool because they only had Captain America. So like, having that like 70s, 60s period piece superhero movie would be really cool. Like I would love if they did that, but- Definitely an option. You know, Kevin Feige, if you're listening. <laughs> I'll send it straight to him, don't worry. Should we go to space? Should we talk about Captain Marvel? Sure. Carol Danvers, also known as Captain Marvel, is a former United States Air Force pilot who upon being exposed to the energy of the Tesseract Via the destruction of the light speed engine obtained cosmic powers, she was turned into a Cree human hybrid while having all of her old memories removed. In the comic, Carol Danvers is the seventh holder of the Captain Marvel title. Captain Marvel is the fourth character in the MCU whose powers come from an Infinity Stone following Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Vision. Ronda Rossi, Catherine Winnick, Natalie Dormer, Emily Blunt, Katie Sok- Sokoff, Yvonne Shahovsky, and Rebecca Ferguson were considered for the role of Carol Danvers. Um, I so this was the second movie I would I watched in the chronological. I enjoyed the '90s references because I come on blockbuster, I'll take it. This movie just hurt my brain. There was too much to track, and again, the CGI of um, Samuel L. Jackson was eye burning, eye burning. The entire movie we had to watch that. Yeah. I uh, the cat was my favorite part of that movie but um yeah um yeah the de-aging is uh distracting um 
yeah, it's hard to talk about. I like I don't Brie like and the character that like the whole movie was her about like don't control your powers, like don't emote, don't do any like like which was not great. Like I don't really know what her character is, you know. I think from being a character that's like so 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 powerful. You know, I think that they, I think there's another one that, that felt much, very much like a, um, let's, let's crank this out and let's make money, you know, almost. And I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, dislike it, um, compared to some other, some other stuff, but, um, it was just, it was just all right. And I, I, I don't, I, I still don't know what Brie Larson has done other than this. I'd never heard of her before. Uh, before it but I think that they haven't found their groove with that character um, kind of falling into the the Black Widow Hawkeye territory in in a way of like well well, is she going to beat Thanos or is she not going to beat Thanos if she can beat Thanos and why you know I don't know well it's like she does remind me actually of like Thor in a way where it's just like the movie was more interesting than her character um i I think this is going to be that character one of those characters where it's going to take another movie mm -hmm. or another two movies until we really get to understand them get to see them they're gonna um they're gonna have to have some other powered people around them um you know i i struggle with the same thing kind of where it's like well she's supposed to be all powerful in this super powerful person why is she coming so late in, in the you know Infinity War? And then when she does get there, why wasn't it just like a snapshot when it was done? Um, but I think I yeah I I'm excited for the um, was it Captain the Marvels? The I Marvels, yeah, the, the Marvels. Movie, uh -huh. um, because this opened up you know Photon. This opened up uh, Miss Marvel. Um, and that's what that's a bit of my fear is that this is another handoff situation where we're getting just more of a setup for Ms. Marvel than it is for Captain Marvel. Um, but I, I, I am intrigued because Brie Larson is a very internalized actress. And that's kind mm -hmm. of what the character was in this movie, because, again, she's learning who she is, trying to find out the memories, all that. But I think for me, what I remember more is the 90s references as opposed to all the other crap that happened in it. And Annette Benning. That's that's what I remember. Her and her haircut. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what they do with Captain Marvel going forward. If she because again, she's very, very powerful. And I read somewhere that like the excuse is that we don't know if Nick Fury like pressed the button earlier on. He could have called for her as she was out doing something, and that's why she didn't come sooner. It's an excuse. But I, I agree. Her her powers are so powerful the movie would have been over you wouldn't have needed a second part and, and i feel that, like that's why uh she was i think maybe that's why she wasn't given sort of full range to exercise all of her powers i also think zach as you were saying i felt like the mcu needed a sabbatical <laughs> right before carol danvers appeared on screen and it felt very much like okay this is the thing that you do right before you go on break uh and yeah. if it also, I think, coupled with the fact that they are trying to build a plan as they're flying as far as the entire universe and how it's all connected, she just felt like they needed her to just be there and then we'll figure out what to do with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, let's move from space to magic. It's Dr. Strange. Dr. Stephen Strange is a sorcerer and a master of the mystic arts. Originally a brilliant, although arrogant, neurosurgeon, Strange got into a car accident, which resulted with his hand being crippled. When all Western medicine failed him, Strange barked on a journey that led him to Kamartaj, where he had made the discovery of magic in the alternate dimensions, being trained by the Ancient One. In the comics, Doctor Strange was the founder and longtime leader of the Defenders, a member of the New Avengers, and one of the Illuminati. Doctor Strange was considered to physically appear in the series finale of WandaVision, where it would have been revealed that all the commercials were messages from Strange attempting to reach Wanda. Oh boy, ready for this list? Joaquin Phoenix, Colin Farrell, Jake Gyllenhaal, Tom Hardy, Ethan Hawke, Jack Houston, Oscar Isaac, Jared Leto, Matthew McConaughey, Ewan McGregor, Keanu Reeves, Justin Thoreau, John Hamm, Johnny Depp, Ryan Gosling, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt were all considered for Stephen Strange. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? He, he really wants to be in the MCU. <laughs> he lost his chance. He, he would have been great as Spider-Man. He's too old now. Yeah. 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 He would be a great villain, um, I think. He needs to be a villain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Doctor Strange is Tony Stark, pretty much. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. when you break it without down, without the quips, without the quips. Yeah. Um, but I think the movie was really. I think it's like the magic and like what he can do just adds this whole element of like. I remember go- I saw that in the theater and seeing all that like really trippy, crazy stuff was just so cool. It was so amazing. Like, you cannot do that in real life, obviously. Like, it's just so cool that uh, what he can do, his power, his power set. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I so think we're not feeling Doctor Strange at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, the movie was cool in the, in the sense of, um, of visuals and everything. I think that with his, well and i guess you're right he's got to learn learn his powers some more um but I, there was something about like um there was something about like the stakes in that movie that just didn't really work for me i mean i like the movie of course i like the movie but like there's there's kind of like two bad guys um there their explanation for for time or the manipulation of time was not not quite there i mean they brought in dormammu which is you know his biggest adversary one of his biggest adversaries and like there was no like real explanation about what this guy is i'm sure they're gonna bring him back at some point maybe who knows um but like it just all seemed very um it like that you know that for me a lot there was a lot with between him and rachel mcadams that I think just wasn't necessary. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there just seemed to be too much about his regular kind of douche baggy life that we, I just, I guess I wanted more, except for this, the effects were great. Just the story itself and like bringing, um, I think more meat to it was lacking. Mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed uh, how Baron Mordo slowly shifted and you could really tell him sh- turning towards the dark side towards the end. Of course, it was all based on jealousy, um, mm-hmm. right? But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it really, 
it was like the dark side. He was embracing the dark side almost a um, little bit by little bit all the way through. So I'm excited to see his character growing to and see if it's in the in the next one. But um, also, can we talk about the ancient one? Yes, we Not can. Yet. Yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we 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 will discuss more about um, diversity later on. But um, yeah, that was a choice. It was a very bad choice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know yeah. why. I mean, Tilda Swinton may be an alien, so maybe she doesn't have um, a race. But um, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, it was um, it was a mm-hmm. it was one of the worst mo- decisions I think Marvel made um, in the MCU. Yeah, and I think it also kind of clouded like how I mean, like I felt about the movie and about like because you know you you watched her scene, and and I'll say she was really great. She was really great in the role and the way the role was written, but um, in my opinion, at least, and but it kind of overshadows it. You know, you're like every scene you see, you're like, oh, she's great, but you know, this yeah. isn't right, and it makes you feel kind of like not great about watching it i think like if like if it wasn't tilda swinton they it would have been like they would have gotten it wouldn't have worked um at all and it would have been more even more like it's already distracting but then if you don't have her in that role then it just then all it is is distracting um but the thing is the decision, because I, I mean, there read a couple of interviews um, about the, and it's basically like, so um, if you go back to the origins of the ancient one, uh, he's Tibetan. And so like, you know, Marvel really, really cares about the Chinese box office because it's the second largest box office in the world, I think compared to America. So like, the, they were worried about politics. They wanted to stay away from like Tibet, like anything having to do with Tibet. So like, it's, it's, I know this sounds crazy, but it's just like, it was a money decision. It wasn't necessarily, they will say like, oh, we were trying to get away from a stereotype or like they wanted, they were doing it for like political um, and financial reasons is why they had her in the role. Like there's rumors of that. I'm just speculating, but it's even more, it's even grosser than, you know. I don't think it's grosser because I also don't think that's what happened, (laughs) frankly. Um, And the reason why I'll say that is because to go from just the broad generalization of not wanting to cast an Asian male actor to not wanting to cast a Tibetan male actor, for me feels like they actually weren't thinking about this even nuancely enough let alone to the nuance of we don't want to upset the tibetan sino american relationship like that i don't think it was that <laughs> and that's why i'm like but i agree with you that if it weren't tilda swinton that kind of role would be difficult i think if they were going to go with a white person do not make this character the most serious austere known wise character in the movie <laughs> It made it seem as if the linchpin of this universe was this white person. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 concept too is also interesting. I never really thought of it that way. That being like the linchpin, it also kind of is like, okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, 
since we talked about something a little problematic, let's talk about a problem that the MCU has. We're going to generalize the villain problem, the good, the bad, and the meh. Why do villains work? And why is it that the villains don't work in the MCU? How, how, why do they have a villain problem? What is, what, what is the villain problem that you speak of? The villain problem is that it's that it's very much, except for a couple of them, it's a one-off. You're in the movie and you're out of the movie, and that's all you get of the villain. It's always the heroes um, triumphant, except for really basically Loki and Thanos up until this point. Um, every and then there are a few people who have sprinkled in here and there, um, but basically, if everyone's a one-off, I don't. Maybe it's just taking like the where they're taking the villains from the original mm-hmm. content like the villains in the Smart. comics you know they're you know sometimes they were villain of the week sometimes you know mm-hmm. they came back but they were very much like ah, i'm here to destroy the day and then the, super, the hero defeated them so i don't think it was really until they started to play with the villains as like characters themselves with backstories right. yeah. themselves and feelings themselves mm-hmm. that they really kind of got over that issue and you, that's right and you know the, the reason why the reason why i love comics is like i said before is because of the villains and the canon of the villains and like um i think that i think that one of my you're, i ne- i never really thought of it but the reason why i even though i love the mcu and everything they do it is also just always about it's very much about the superheroes which makes sense that's that's part of it but also the, the, some of the best part about superheroes is the villain and their what their motivations are and what their character is, um, and the the few the the few villains that they have that have done that right and done that well. I mean, are the ones that we love the most and the ones that we want to see more of. I mean, we want to see more of all of them, but I think it's very easy to just write someone in and out and then not have to worry about using them again. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's yeah. each pick a villain to talk about. So we'll we'll get five villains to talk about as in the overview. Um, Nehemiah, who do you want to start off with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, why not? Uh, Hella. Oh, Hella! Yes, Hella. Um, Cape Blanchett. Um, with that woof, and then the spikes come out. Oh, so that's one of the mo- for me the good. That she falls in the good category of villains because I don't know if it's because Kate Blanchett is such an incredible actress or if they really made Hela a, a strong character and um, a rival for Thor. But wow, she was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she was she was a one off too, which was kind of was. Like they underutilized exactly. especially because it was Kate Blanchett, and it's like you don't you don't cast an actor. <clears throat> And that sort of, and you don't give them, I mean, look at what they did with her in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, she had a more minor role, but they did it in such a way that it gave it such gravity, even though she was like, and, and I mean, her collateral has a lot of gravity in the, in the that world in general. And they were able to do that in just such a small amount. And they kind of just tossed her in and was like, hey, go crazy with it. And while she did do it very well, it was almost like, all right, well, you know, I, 
I might get killed off the end of this movie. I'm not putting my best work into this. It, it, but even, you know, her worst work is still really amazing work. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it, it was a bummer because also um, I'm a big, I'm big into big in the the history of, of, of any of it. If there's, if, when you give me the, the history and the lore, um, I, that, that's what makes, makes it most enjoyable. And, and then the canon as well, but um, they didn't, do that much with her and we we could we could have and should have had so much more it should have been just her there, there there's a lot that they didn't do right with that in my opinion mm-hmm. like villain, the villain problem it seems like well like you take loki um or nebula or yondu anybody that was like a villain um as the character grows they turn into a hero so like I don't I don't think they know they just don't know how to like grow like Hella so Hella survives but that's like how does that character change and still stay a villain and still like you know I think they don't not necessarily know what to do they put it all into Thanos though which is I guess people like Killmonger and then Thanos are probably the best villains um, you know and maybe Vulture I guess. I feel like they love villains that have a positive worldview. <laughs> and that is like the, the central point of the conflict between the hero and the villain is that you are chipping away at that worldview as it encroaches upon the world that you want to live in. Uh, but with Helen in particular, I feel like, like you all said, it, it was such a one-off. And I feel like it's because they really just needed her for something grander, which is that Thor had to experience loss at a foundational level. And once he experienced that, she was she did what she had to do, and she did what she was meant to do. Unfortunately, although I wish we could have seen more of her. I also think like, and this could change now that they have the like Disney Plus shows. But I just think there's so much content for them to get through, and there are so many other heroes with other villains. There are so many villains for these same heroes. Bringing them back time and time again just might not make sense for the MCU. Or if they're brought back in a very smart way, kind of like how um, Zemo is, then it works. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. that was a good decision there. But I think it's the same thing, like I was saying before, it's like Z- Zemo joins the heroes. Like he's not a hero, but like he's working with them. He's no longer like, Hela is like destroying Thanos. Is like, fair. you know, it's they usually like somebody's a villain and then they bring them closer to the hero side. So I think they don't know how to do villains, really. You know, yeah. keep them. All right, let's, let's let's pick another villain, Mike. Who do you want? Um, I'm gonna go with Mysterio. We'll hmm. talk about Mysterio later, but Jesus sure. Christ, that movie confused me. Because again, I know my Spider-Man lore. I was like, why is he a good person right now? What is happening? And then they made the switch. I was like, okay. But the fact, again, when you talk about the technology and updating it to the modern world, they really did Mysterio well. And Jake mm-hmm. Hall, you want to talk about easy on the eyes, uh, I'll watch him all day. Oh, yeah. Just also the fact that it was a group effort, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. no, they totally yeah. broke it open. It was not the Mysterio we know from the comic world. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that, speaking of updating, the fact that one of his biggest assets was he knew how to control the narrative, I think is what made his character that much more believable in this world. Because he couldn't have just been an illusionist. He had to have been an illusionist for the political objective. Yeah. 
Zeta, you want to pick a villain? Um. Oh man, I don't know. Um. What about? Um, what about, um, the, I don't even remember what her name is, but she was in Ant-Man 2, the ghost. Oh, ghost. Ghost. Mm -hmm. um, I have her on my met list because yeah. it, it, it was fine, but it needed to be evolved even more. Like there was a backstory to it and it was a really cool right. backstory, but it was not developed it, well enough she to really tragic, she was a tragic character that they could have done so much more i i think it's interesting when they're they're tragic characters mm -hmm. or um they're ha like like i would also i'd also choose like ultron because of i mean they didn't do ultron justice but um the motivation is so much more interesting as i just want to fuck shit up or I just want to control and command. Like they, they, there's a, you know, she was, she was sick, you know, Ultron, Ultron hypothetically saw things from a viewpoint nobody else did. And he was convinced in his, his viewpoint. And that's what makes it, like, that's what makes the good ones. Thanos, same thing. Killmonger, same thing. Like these characters who, when they have, um, something that's understandable to lose or understandable to fight for, even though you don't might not agree with it, or you might, or what their 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 um, tactics are really bad. Um, that's what's more. That's what's like infinitely more interesting. Well, the thing yeah. about Ultron, um, it's like the Avenger, like Tony Stark created him, so it's like they created the problem. It wasn't space. It wasn't somebody else. It was like Tony Stark literally like was responsible for like almost the world being destroyed. Like that's interesting about Ultron is that he is created by the Avengers really. Um, so I just, that's like, that's very, I think that's interesting. And then yeah. the other thing with, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's right. That's okay. Uh, I was just gonna say, the, speaking of, I love the way that you, that you frame that because I felt like Ultron represented Tony's greatest fear, which is that I am not enough. And the fact that he was able to, Ultron, really get around the Avengers, not just the Avengers. It would have been different had Ultron gotten around Thor. Ultron got around Tony's brain and it really triggered one of his deepest fears that he was not good enough. Yeah. Anything else on Ghost before Michael picks the next one? Uh, not Ghost, but her dad. I was really upset with the fact that they once again tossed away another great actor like Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, that that was. I think that I was going to be my point is it wasn't about Ghost. It was about Lawrence Fishburne, and they barely used him. Yeah, barely right. used him. And again, with Ghost as a villain, I felt during that movie they're kind of like setting her up, like, oh, maybe she could become a you know she's tragic, so she can become a hero eventually or an anti-hero, you know um yeah i think uh if i was gonna pick pick a villain i think it was just like killmonger we have to talk about him because he is one of the most influential and you know zach is talking about how like a uh uh the, a villain having a point and that's why they're a good villain it's like you know he didn't he kind of won in the end and he really was right you know like he 
and it, it wasn't winning like punching it was through thought and ideas that he was able to change something so like that's why he's so interesting like he is really the best villain in the mcu um because he's still but he's still kind of you know like he's still pretty bad but he does have a point um No, it makes me think because villains like, for example, Killmonger, great point, just bad execution. Thanos, great yeah. point, bad execution. But I also think about um, Captain America, who was ready to risk half the world's population so they didn't kill Vision. And so I'm like... What? Right. That's what a good villain does, and that's that's one thing that they've been able to do in a lot of these, a lot of these, well, with a lot of the, the dynamics of within the Avengers. Of there's moments when everyone's pissed at Tony because he created Ultron, and everybody's pissed at Captain America because he won't stop being, you know, the perfect model, whatever he is. And I, I think that that's um, what, like, if a villain. Um, can turn the tables on the good guy and make you think, wait a minute, but who, but all right. Yeah. There's a good guy and a bad guy, but they both, they both have things that are right and both have things that are wrong. And that's what's, what's, I mean, like, like Ultron was, was, was born, born to do something very specific. And then he, he grew his own, his own consciousness and he was, from his point of view, he knew things and could see things and understand things that we couldn't because that's what he was designed to do is to to see a threat and figure out the best way to, to neutralize that threat. And, you know, there's always flaws in the system and everything. And, and you know, I mean, I, I was pretty mad that they didn't, um, that, you know, I mean, if he's in our modern day, where the, the internet is connected to everything. And if he's connected to the internet, why didn't he just be like, mm, all right, I'm gonna turn everything off like right now. <laughs> and until you do what I say, I'm not turning anything back else back on and let's see how the world, I mean, that that was a big um, missed opportunity. They went with more of like, I love the, the, the first part of him where he was kind of like this petulant child trying to learn things and trying to figure it all out. But then when he went um, went to, this more like let's drop the city that got a little like it was it was cool the way they did that but they could have gone and really up the stakes and what would that mean what if Ultron really did exist it would be if, 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 if um, you know an angry artificial intelligence comes into existence we do have a problem on our hands because if they can turn off the internet like how do we do anything we are so reliant on on technology now that um, I think that was a missed opportunity in his in his story. But like, it was just so interesting to see this character. Um, and, you know, James Spader is just, I mean, he's not, <laughs> not particularly sexy anymore, but like that voice, like I could listen to him, yeah, yeah. read the phone book and just be like, oh, don't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like also Ultron though, it's just, I think about it how, um, you know, like, yeah, his, his plan was like, oh, to save everybody, I have to destroy a bunch of people, which is also Thanos' plan. Right. 
um but it seems like the avengers kind of like okay so we got rid of uh we got uh we got rid of ultron but we're not going to really think about you know why he wanted to destroy everybody like (laughs) oh we're just going to ignore like why he came to that like why did he think that that was just but also these are popcorn movies and superhero movies so just you know well if they would have given it a little bit more um less like explosions and stuff like that like i said with the ending and everything i mean there was a there was a political commentary or a social commentary in and of that self too like you know of of our future you know when ai does come about um of like what it means like if um on a more philosophical level like what is like would an artificial intelligence be inherently bad would it be inherently good like they could have really gotten into some philosophical like thought thought about it and like you said why is he doing this why does he see it this way what is it just about his program true but he's also an actual artificial now he's an actual being so um there was a lot of really just really great meat um some of which they didn't explore further unfortunately well what's interesting is 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 super problematic so fuck him (laughs) we're working at hbo unfortunately um but (laughs) speaking of the sort of framework of that great plan bad execution i feel like they had a plan to engage in those kind of uh, underlying philosophical questions but the execution also reflects our very limited fantasy the human mind i think struggles with invisibilized threats it really likes to, uh, something external to look at to attribute danger and harm to. So I think that also reflects how they thought about and executed it on the threat of AI, that it would also look and operate in the same kind of physical and visible way that human threats act in. Uh, right. And something that's actually different than us in our own fantasies. For mine, I so we learned that my favorite character is Baby Groot. My number two is probably Spider-Man. My number three is my favorite villain, um, Agatha Harkness. Yes. That <laughs> was my first. It was Agatha all along. I mean, first off, Catherine Hahn is incredible. Um, I think um, WandaVision is one of the most beautifully cinematic series to ever be on television. Um, there was a bit of a debate in the other panel where someone asked, why aren't we including the Marvel series, the uh, Disney Plus series in the ranking? And I said, because those aren't, they're different viewing um, experiences. You maybe could get away with Loki and um, Falcon and Winter Soldier as a movie. You cannot with WandaVision. It's just completely different. Mm-hmm. But that turn, when you learn about Agatha, I'm like, that was everything. I think she is an incredible villain, and obviously, it will potent- it could potentially open us up into the Fantastic Four. Who knows? Um, but I think the the way they treated Agatha was just exquisite. It was so well done. You should um, also look up Agatha all along Ocean Kelly's version of that. It's yes. so great. Yes. <laughs> messing up. Yeah. It's so. Okay. okay. It's- yeah uh, yeah no she, she no go ahead oh no i was just gonna say like uh i just want to have as much fun as uh katherine hahn has in real life i feel like she just <laughs> took her own was like oh i love every bit of this didn't give a shit about its uh after effects and care about what it meant for like 
her and her long-term relationship with Marvel. She just wanted to have fun in the same way I think yeah. that she also had fun as Doc Ock um, in uh, the Spider-Man movie as well. And mm -hmm. she is that kind of actress. Give her something and she finds fun in it. She's going to have fun with it. Yeah. Well, let's dive into a little bit. Um, obviously, we go to see these movies for the heroes, the villains, the fighting. But there's also sometimes, you know, a little romance and love. If almost every single one of these movies, there is some sort of love interest. The only one perhaps is Captain Marvel doesn't really have someone, but though you, you could make an excuse that there's something going on over there. Does it, if you eliminated the love story from some of these movies, would you still get the same outcome? Not from Thor 2. Hmm? Well, not for Thor too, but and uh, I mean, I think that that's that's just it's so much. Uh, yes, I do because I think that's um that's a good question. That's a great question, but it's also standard. Like it's just the standard movie formula. But look at like what Spider Man has done. Yes, MJ might have a, there might be a little like cuteness between the two of them, um, but really they're not like it's not all about how it's not all about his love for mj it, it's not um even like in the first movie he goes on you know he's trying to date this other girl um it, it's not it doesn't revolve around that and you know we had um you know black panther didn't particularly have that um even iron man from towards the end i mean we didn't see i mean it was such a shock when um, Gwyneth Paltrow showed up in in Infinity or uh, Endgame. You're like, oh, oh my God, wait, what? And she has a suit because they kind of they kind of moved away from that. And, and I think that that's, I mean, I don't. It doesn't bother me because it's just so common um, that I think that in the future it doesn't. That's not. It's a very heteronormative trope mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah for me i think the only love interest that i actually care about is wanda and vision yeah of course everyone else it's all incidental and and part of like the packaged product but wanda and vision is it, it, something you fight for you want them to succeed knowing the outcome is not successful and they're the only two like super human like avengers that are in a relationship right like none of well, the rest there of the was character. That, there was that uh, Bruce Banner uh, Natasha moment, which felt yeah, right. very forced. They're, they're like Peter Quill and Gamora as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, but Wanda and Vision are like the one. They're and there isn't any like yeah. oh I don't know like you know um, even though Vision is dead again. Spoiler alert! I don't. <laughs> Well, even if Vision weren't dead, Vision is three years old, which is wild to think about. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> right. I think um, the only I other couple that I think is interesting, and that's just because um, it's basically self-loving self is Loki and Sylvie. I know. <laughs> that's so great together. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, but I think the love stories definitely are lacking. Um, you know, they are just a part of the heteronormative kind of package. Like, this is what a blockbuster is. But it's interesting how, like, Thor Love and Thunder is coming out. 
which is like seems like it's gonna be all about like relationships and dating and so wait it's not just about sex love and thunder (laughs) sorry bad joke bad joke bad joke i hope it's in there but uh well so one thing that the marvel cinematic universe is very good at is giving us celebrities and stars um and i have a pretty big extensive list that i want to go through so buckle your seatbelts we're going to go through it i want to discuss the winners of oscars and the people who are nominated for the oscars okay um this isn't necessarily in any order but we're going to go through it um are you ready for the winners yeah daniel kalula jeff bridges brie larson gwyneth paltrow ben kingsley tommy lee jones Robert Redford, Tilda Swinton, Anthony Hopkins, William Hurt, Michael Douglas, Benicio Del Toro, Lupita Nyong'o, Horace Whitaker, Natalie Portman, Marissa Tomei, Kate Blanchett, Sam Rockwell, Tika Watiti, Matt Damon, Jennifer Conley, Rachel Weisz, J.K. Simmons, because he's in the MCU. Um, and we will now get um, Russell Crowe, Christian Bale, Angelina Jolie, and Marishala Ali. Are all your winners. It's a pretty big list. You ready for the nominees? Adriana yeah. Barraza, Angela Bassett, Annette Benning, Chadwick Boseman, Josh Brolin, Don Cheadle, Glenn Close, Bradley Cooper, Benedict Cumberbatch, Robert Downey Jr., Chidua Ejafor, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jamin Hoso, Terrence Howard, Samuel Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Michael Keaton, Jude Law, Rachel McAdams, Edward Norton, Michelle Pfeiffer, Florence Pugh, John C. Riley, Jeremy Renner, Tim Roth, Mickey Rourke, Mark Ruffalo, Sylvester Stallone, Stanley Tucci, and we are going to be getting, uh, well, she's technically in it, Alfred Woodard, and we will be getting Selma Hayek, Melissa McCarthy, Kamal, Dinaj, Kamal Najani, and Olivia Coleman. Well, she was the winner. Um, that's a lot of people. And it's Scarlett over 60. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, over Scarlett 60 Johansson nominations. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. Over 60? Over 60. How does that affect anything for you? Or do, do you think these celebrities just want to play? I Wasn't Scarlett Johansson nominated uh, for two different roles at an Oscar, like, one year? Like yeah, two, she and- was nominated for Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of crazy to think that list all appeared in the same world. Well, not only that, not only that, not only that list, but like everybody who hasn't been nominated, like just Mm -hmm. the, the, the use of leads. Yeah. Just the use of, of, of big names, um, throughout. I mean, I think that it's important. I think it's, it's, it's important for you know, as a business decision, of course, because it's, it's bringing even more people in, you know, and it's kind of giving it a, um, uh, not normalizing, that's not the right word, but it's, you know, it's not a bunch of obscure actors who are like, well, okay, um, sure, I might want to see, like, regular people might want to see it, because maybe they're a fan of Tommy Lee Jones, you know, my, my dad doesn't like any of this, but he might watch it knowing that Timely Jones is in it. You know, probably still, probably not because 
<laughs> he doesn't love yeah. this stuff. So, but you know, it, it, it kind of gives it a more, it, it, not streamline. Oh, what's, I'm sorry. What's the word? Um, mainstream and make it brings it more mainstream which is is helpful i actually think uh, a really recent example not not as an actor but um as the director uh uh chloe zhao uh and her mm -hmm. with with nomadland and then you know winning those oscars it's definitely gonna go like my mom would be like oh i'll see the eternals like didn't she won all these oscars so really it's like oh, so this isn't just a superhero movie. This has some prestige, like the people that make it. So it, it is an important business thing and it does bring people in that are not necessarily superhero fans. You're not going to go see the Eternals to see Rob Stark and Jon Snow together on screen? I will. Uh, <laughs> as for me, I will. I think it really, like everyone... I guess kind of wins in this situation for the actor that is tired of hurting themselves literally or figuratively for an Oscar or just to be for work, they can finally go have fun or maybe take a break from that and go have fun. Um, for those who want this as a launching pad, hopefully, or a star vehicle, I guess, uh, yeah. that'd be great for them too. And then for the audience that isn't already bought in, they do recognize Kate Blanchett and may go see, and therefore it lends legitimacy to the studio and to these kinds of stories. Yeah, it, it's re it's really cool. I mean, I don't know how much it will cost them to make Avengers Endgame, but oh my God, the, the, how did some of them just say, well, it's part of my contract, I have to show up? Or do they like all get like big bucks for that fucking movie? Oh my God. It's expensive, but you do it for the love of it. We're going to go into it's something also, that... It's also but, like, it helps to establish like, this has become like even more than a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it is mm -hmm. a culture, right? But it's also like it has changed the way we we we're, we tell stories. It's changed um, expectations of superhero movies. It's changed. It, it's been able to do and change so much. And yeah, there's been a lot of like trip ups. But having you know having major stars, people who are huge movers and shakers in this industry um power players in this industry it, it allows it to it to really become part of our culture i mean even if you don't like marvel or any of this superhero stuff you still know about it like it's huge it's huge it's yeah. billions upon billions of dollars you know yeah so we're going to move into something that i kind of realized while it was high one night where i was like oh my god the the, the crossovers they're, they're, they're it's blowing my mind so i i wrote down this little paragraph of some of the crossovers within the mcu that expands outside of the mcu and now begs the question of what is canon at this point are you ready to go on this journey with me if i'm missing anything you please tell me at the end but i think i got the, a big chunk of it all right Josh Brolin played Thanos in the MCU and Cable in Deadpool 2. Deadpool appeared alongside Korg of Thor Ragnarok fame doing com commentary for Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy. So now Deadpool has entered the MCU, which means Cable and Thanos live in the same universe and Cable can go through time. Does that mean Cable is Thanos of the future? 
Peter Dinklage played Atiri in Avengers Infinity War and Bolivar Trask in X-Men Days of Future Past. Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan both played Human Torch in different Fantastic Four films. They both went on to play two new characters in the MCU. Spider-Man No Way From Home, uh, No Way Home will feature Alfred Molina's Doc Ock from the first Spider-Man trilogy and Jamie Foxx Electro from the second series. J.J. Jameson, played by J.K. Simmons from the first trilogy, was seen in the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. Evan Peters appeared as Quicksilver Pietro Maximoff next to Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda in WandaVision. We learn that Agatha Harkness enchanted this person to betray her brother. Is it possible that the entire X-Men franchise was just a series of enchanted people if the Quicksilver from that movie was not real? We'll shake the table. <laughs> just putting things out there. This is why crossovers are bad. It's scary because that, 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 it just, when you're high, it makes more sense, I think. But um, just throwing things out there. Isn't it crazy? Well I, well, I think Loki is like, you know, Loki fucked everything up. And that's no, why Loki I hate multiverse. explained <laughs> everything. Loki is like, see, like, it, you know, sure. Yeah. Like, also, Josh Bro- Thanos, the thing about Thanos, though, is like, Thanos is a giant, like, purple alien. We don't know what happened to Cable. So, so like, it's, they're diff- definitely different. Um, but I think, I think with Loki, it just kind of explained of like, just, it could, they could, anybody could look like anybody. There could be any variant of anybody. So, well, that's what's going to be so interesting also about the Eternals is because they're also going to start linking some of these things to where Josh Brolin, Josh Brolin, uh, Josh Brolin's cable and Josh Brolin's uh, Thanos have a common ancestor. So it is. Yep. Well, not only that, but the, in the Eternals, you have Gemma Chan, who, um, who I think she's playing Cersei. But she also played Minerva in Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, right. there's, there's a lot of things going on. Um, <laughs> I know, like me, this was convoluted and kind of crazy, just more for fun. But it's kind of fun to think about all these crossovers and how things could interact. I'm telling you, it's the Spider-Man that I hope they do it well because I could see it potentially being a nightmare and confuse more people than help. Oh, yeah. But I'm excited for Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. I loved his performance. And if the rumor is true that uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield do make an appearance, that's just going to be wild. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to see Tobey just like strutting once again down like Pennsylvania Avenue or (laughs) 30th. Yes. Yeah. So we kind of discuss a couple things about the difference in the variants from the comics. Um, are there any that stick out to any of you? Cause I have, I have a couple that I want to just throw out there when we, when we get to it, but any differences between how they were treated in the MCU compared to the comics? I didn't watch, I didn't read it, the comics, so I don't really know. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I didn't really either, but like I did a little bit of research to see like some of the differences. Um, I can start and give you a couple uh, variances. Uh, First off, Mantis. In the comics, she is born in Vietnam and trained under the Kree. She later goes on to work with the Avengers and Silver Surfer. She is known for her strong martial arts abilities and later develops powers of invulnerability. 
in the MCU, she is a very naive creature whose background we don't know and has empath powers. Mantis creator Steve Englehart was not happy with the character in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, stating that it's a different character with the name of the iconic character. I agree with that. And yeah, maybe we'll talk about that when we talk about uh, diversity in the MCU. Because, yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, Ant-Man, obviously, Hank Pym was the original Ant-Man with Scott Lang as his comic book replacement. Hank was part of the original Avengers, but in the MCU, Hank takes a secondary role while Lang is the hero and the star of the movie. Um, Hope Van Dyne in the comics went by the last name Pym, had a twin brother and was a villain known as the Red Queen, having formed the Revengers when she and her brother were not considered for the next generation of the Avengers. <laughs> so really turn that one around. Yes. Uh, Marvel in the comics is a Kree soldier and the first of many to hold the mantle of Captain Marvel. Additionally, Captain Marvel was male, known as Dr. Walter Lawson. He was a mentor mentor to Carol Danvers, who would eventually be known as Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. They, that one they really messed around with. Um, Black Widow is depicted as a regular person, but in the comics, she was scientifically engineered super spy. Not as super as Captain America, she still had possessed some levels of enhanced strength, senses, agility, and even a slight healing factor. I still have questions about that, because it seems like if you saw Black Widow, she is has some super serum or something. Like, I'm, I was never really sure about that in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this next one we'll discuss more in depth when we get to diversity, but Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> um mandarin is a classic iron man villain and for the first third of iron man 3 he was close to comic accurate it is revealed in an anticlimactic and hilarious confrontation where ben kingsley's character is not the mandarin but in fact a drunkling drunken bumbling actor called trevor slattery playing the part of the mandarin later in the film guy pierces killian declares himself to be mandarin who they fucked that one up big time yeah yeah this is the one that I have the biggest problem with because again, as X-Men fan, this is where things really get screwy. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are some of the oldest Avengers on the roster, but in the MCU, their origin story differs from the comics. In the pages of Marvel, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff are Magneto's children. They are originally depicted as mutants. This will lead to the quote-unquote recast of Pietro in WandaVision. That one was the one that screwed me up for the entire MCU because I knew that one very well. Um, Ultron in the MCU Ultron is Tony Stark's experimental AI who kills Jarvis and turns against the Avengers in the comics Ultron does not involve Tony Stark at all he is created by Hank Pym and then goes rogue continually gaining strength Uh. Agnetha Harkis it was Agatha all along while she did have some control over Wanda in the comics she was more of an ally and mentor rather than full-blown villain she is depicted in the comics with silvery hair and a black hat, a quintessential witch, and a babysitter to Fantastic Four's Reed Richards and Sue Storm's son, Franklin. So that I, I'm convinced we're not done with Agatha. She, she, she'll be back. And finally, Mysterio. Um, did you watch Spider-Man Far From Home and become instantly confused to see Mysterio start out as a hero, knowingly full well he's one of the greatest villains in the Spider-Man universe? With his powers now being manipulated via digital means, this Mysterio wants to be like the heroes with a costume including Iron Man's armor, Doctor Strange's garb, Thor's cape, and Vision's synthetic body, all of which is motion captured 
Oh, and Mysterio is created by a committee of former Stark Industry employees. So those are some interesting differences from the comics. Obviously, there are a lot more, but I guess if you're not a comic reader or a comic loyalist, it doesn't really matter that much. You can take the liberties, but um, I'm sure there are definitely comic fans out there who like shake their fists at the movie being like, that's not right. I mean, you can also have both because like as Kevin Feige has stuck his, you know, foot in the ground on these are loosely inspired stories. You get to have the comics that you grew up with and that you loved and those iterations as well as the MCU. Um, And I feel like they are like the creators and uh, actors involved with the MCU all go shopping in like the loosely inspired grocery store, like getting all these Mm -hmm. random ingredients that are coming from the IP uh, from the comics and the dish that comes out of it is maybe a little bit better in some instances than the original ingredients. Uh, so I'm kind of happy with some of the variances. Some of them I'm like, we could have done without. That's yeah. kind of obvious, but it's not yeah, but also, also the canon is never is never set in stone anyways. I mean, they sure. they change the characters. They, they you know, re-update, come out with a whole new series of, I don't know enough about the difference in, you know, the different series and whatnot, but it's kind of the idea of comics, which is it's based on the writer and the the illustrator and what they at that mm-hmm. moment, what story they're telling with these characters who changed, you know, changed over time. Yeah, I think Captain Marvel is actually a really good example of this because I think the original cap, the original Captain Marvel was just like a standard, you know, like dude white dude so and like and Mm -hmm. i think why the mcu works so well is because they don't just stick to one thing they're like we they have like what like 70 plus years of characters and all sorts of stuff so they can just pull from that and i think that's why i think that's just smart instead of trying to be comic book accurate also how many times have we seen like Uncle Ben die. How many times have we seen different yeah. universe? But Barbara uh, or um, Martha and Thomas Wayne die in an alley. Like there's some things that's like we don't need to see the story again, or it's an outdated story. It's an outdated, uh, you know, everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, Aunt May had to be hot. We needed a hot Aunt May. All right, let's let's dive into something um, important and um, just a, a good discussion. It's the visibility and social discussion of the MCU. And I want to begin with the characters of color. According to an article in Forbes a few years back, the MCU is based on, I believe, uh, actor-wise, 61% white, 20% black, 8% multiracial, 4% Hispanic, 5% East Asian, 1% South Asian, one percent Middle Eastern. Not shocking. I mean, look at look at the the movie posters. It's not I shocking. Mean, I mean, Walt Disney was a Nazi. <laughs> Just joking, joking. Also, the like the white leads can only have so many uh, best friends of color. So exactly right. Um, so obviously, one of the bigger changes from the comic world was Nick Fury and casting. Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And that was a good step of progress. Um, And then for the most part, it stayed true to what the comics said. 
like Nick Fury, a like comic book, like actually at the time, Nick Fury was basically Samuel L. Jackson. Like they took his image and turned like and made Nick Fury um, based on him. So yeah, like, like that, it really wasn't a huge change to me because it was already established in the comics. Um, thankfully he did it though, because that was great <laughs> instead of, you know, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was already there. It wasn't a change. It wasn't a change on the MCU's part. It was already, yeah. it was already there. So I didn't know that part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that he, I knew in the comics, they now portray him as Samuel Jackson's version, but I thought that that came from. Dude, I, I think it was a white was it wasn't a white guy because I have an action figure of Nick Fury. Oh yeah, originally, originally yes. it was a white guy. Yeah, originally, yeah, yeah. 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 Was, but then, the they, reason, then they changed it over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. not unlike the eighties, but <laughs> yes. yeah, no, but like that that was the big first change that they did when it came to casting. Um, and then really uh, our best friends um, were, were the black actors. Um, obviously first it was Terrence Howard into um, Don Cheadle. <laughs> um, then you have um, uh, Falcon. Um, uh, like, and we're going to get Blade who is a um, hero um, who is black, but he's not here yet. Yeah. It took us to Black Panther to finally get that. And it really did change the universe. And I, and, um, the Ten Rings is going to be the same thing where it's finally going to bring diversity back into the MCU. Is it too late? No, because I don't think, well, I don't think that it's too late. I think that it's, it's, it's too bad that it, that it took this long, but it's never too late to make things right. It's never too late to, to make this, to make this pivot and to, to be more inclusive and, and, it's unfortunate that it took this long, but it's it's better for sure. It's more interesting. I mean, I I as a white as a white guy from the suburbs, um, I like I don't I don't find it interesting if it's not a diverse cast. Like it just doesn't seem like I. That's why I love New York City. I love being in an area where there's diversity and you know things like that and like different cultural things coming at you and um if you don't have that it's just like and then now that now with our social climate um it's also like if you're not doing that you're doing the wrong thing i'm curious to see how this will how this impacts and changes some of their internal processes because one thing that i'm a little scared of is that i do think it we have made some important strides and I also know that if we treat it as like a plateau or a milestone, we're going to then just continue to perpetuate the same kind of inequitable processes of uh, casting, uh, who's working behind the camera and all that. So mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see not just the fact that they casted Samuel L. Jackson, but also what does the casting process look like now to make room for other people like him or that look like him and different kinds of talent as well. Yeah. They really and I, I think without, also without tokenizing as well and doing it oh we're doing this just to check off a box to make make sure that we're doing the right thing you know that which hopefully they're not doing and doesn't feel like that that's what they're doing i mean it's Mike, just you're gonna the, say something oh it's what oh, sorry oh it's just like a smart i think it's just a smart modern thing to do 
right? You know, it's just why keep telling the same story? It's better to have more stories from diverse backgrounds. It just makes a better story and it yeah. just makes the universe just better to have diversity. Story-wise, like, it's more interesting. Um, well, like in the beginning of the MCU, they really stuck very close to the comic books in, in like in, in terms of casting, right? So the majority of the heroes are white in the comic books. So they casted white actors for those roles. It, you know, Samuel Jackson, it had already kind of changed in the comic books and was based on the Samuel Jackson. So they casted Samuel Jackson. I think the first person they really changed in, in casting was Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, mm -hmm. making her black. Um, but like we said before, Black Panther was really the first movie to open up the MCU into creating more of these stories where they can cast these heroes, where they can make these heroes who are a part of everything in the comic books, you know, put them into the, to the movie universe. And if Black Panther didn't perform as well as it did, I don't think they would have continued to go in that direction at all. Mm -mm. Yeah. And and storylines, there there's only one really big storyline that involved race, and that is in Falcon and the Winter Soldier about um, how important it is to have someone who's not blonde hair, blue eyes, being Captain America. And obviously now Falcon is Captain America, and that's a big deal. Um, but that's really been the first time there's been that kind of discussion within the MCU in terms of storyline. Um, so I'll be very interested to see how that continues on. The one um, thing that I do want to say is going to be interesting is as they start to explore the multiverse and start to explore other non-human beings, uh, mm -hmm. they are going to have to tackle the fact that there are a lot of people of color who are playing these roles. And why is that? <laughs> it's sort of right. sure. sort of kind of the politics of aesthetics come into play here where it's like you are already taking folks, well, one, the othering of it all, uh, the fact that you have all these sort of alien creatures being, paid by, being played by people who may experience it, other forms of alienation. And so right. I'm just see how they are going to tackle that because you can't continue to just cast a black and brown cast and then just put us all in green. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, like Zoe Saldana is just like, yeah, like they're painted green or blue or yeah. pink or something and yeah and dave, dave batista as drax and yeah no it, it, it's definitely a thing no. that needs to be addressed and looked into um lgbtq representation in the mcu is very much lacking in words not necessarily because in in the canon of the comics there there's been a little more discussion about it but we discussed earlier about all these romances aside from like Loki and Sylvie who basically are the same person. And maybe that's a whole different thing, topic. Um, it's all very hetero, but I want to give some of the characters who are of the LGBTQ spectrum. Loki is considered bisexual and gender fluid. Sylvie is bisexual. Valkyrie is bisexual. And Tessa Thompson has spoken about that. She's like, let me kiss someone. Um, <laughs> We will get our uh, first openly gay hero in Fastos in Eternals. Um, they are technically in the MCU now that Deadpool is in the MCU. Negasonic, Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Yukio um, are a cute little couple. Um, Deadpool is pansexual. Um, 
if we get him in full adult version, Wiccan slash Billy is very openly gay, and I can't wait for Troy Savon to play uh, Billy. Um, come on, you need a fucking twink to play that role. Timothy Chalamet. Um, just, no, 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 no. Want to give a shit? He's already no, no. He's not gay. Do not. It's got to go to a gay actor. Um, <laughs> Io is a lesbian, and Korg apparently is gay. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know that. But Korg, Korg, that rock monster is gay. Um, why can they not say this on screen? Disney. <laughs> yeah. But 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 all they're the Disney Channel there. shows. They're, they're, yeah, they're getting they're, there. They're getting there, and they are like you said. They're and Eternals is going to have a gay gay romance. They're going to have. They are. I I don't know. I, I read this a, a while back, and I should have looked it up before this, but. Um, there is going to be a trans actor, I believe, play, playing a role coming up. I, I, I don't know exactly. I don't. I, I, I could be completely wrong too. Um, but I, I know that they are opening up to the possibility, and that Disney itself has, you know, on the Disney Channel, there are they are starting to bring the LGBTQ community in. I think that it's just a matter, simply a matter of we're not there yet. We're just, we're getting there. I mean, <laughs> we, we just recently in the past 20 years got to where we are now. So, I mean, I can see why it's not there yet. Also, there was the online petition to have um, Dominique Jack Jackson be the next storm, which mm -hmm. would be amazing and should be the case. I mean, they should do something like that. I mean, it's easy to, to put a, put a queer character into a queer role, but why can't um, a, a, a trans actress play a, a, a straight role, like a, a regular, like that's not, you know, Storm doesn't have to be trans as a character. She, and hopefully that they can, we can get to the point that that happens, but. I know this is in a different world a little bit, but I do think season three of Umbrella Academy will help define yeah. how that yeah. plays in the future with Elliot Page going back to um, Vanya, um, which oh, I love Umbrella Academy so much. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, how they tackle that is gonna be very informative and hopefully an opportunity for others to say, it's fine, let's do it. What um, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, no, like, I think it's, like, really half-assed in uh, the MCU, like, any queer representation. It seems like it's always, I didn't know Korg was gay. Like, it's always an after effect, after the fact, like, oh, you gotta read it in an article. It's never actually in the movie. It's like, oh, if you read the Wikipedia page, you know, so, which I think is one of the, the weaknesses of the MCU. It's just, like, you have to, like, go and read a wikipedia page sometimes to actually learn and, and and when it comes to no. heroes and well-known heroes we just found out this week that robin is now bisexual mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so good for him welcome to the team <laughs> well i do also like i mean look at look at um look at queer representation in mainstream media now we're just i mean granted one grace came on the scene you know, things things opened up in the past, like twenty, starting about twenty years ago, and then you know now it's now it's normal to have a ha somewhat normal to have a gay character, a queer character of some sort, but only just recently are we starting to see the 
queer characters that aren't stereotypical. You know, um, even like Cam and Mitch in Modern Family, great, funny, hilarious, love watching that show, but it also got old towards the end because now if you had it, like that's not, we don't need to see Will and Jack. We don't need to see Cam and Mitch. What we want to see is just a, a couple um, I don't know if you saw The Old Guard on Netflix. If you haven't, it's one of the best fucking movies ever, especially yeah. as like a superhero action flick. But the, the 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 queer couple in that, it just, it was what it was. It, it, it's just normal every day, like not, ain't, it ain't no thing. And media in general has just started touching on that. And you can't, like you can't put a f really who wants to watch a flamboyantly gay man yes it's funny to an extent but like that's not really interesting anymore and it's not groundbreaking there's nothing groundbreaking about that but this is um, where i think intersectionality does matter because i think that to see a white uh cis flamboyant gay man is right right being a for instance a i'm non-binary femme person and i would read as flamboyant my story I haven't quite seen as much as I've seen sort of the Jacks from Will and Grace. And so I think that's where we start to employ a more nuanced lens about, okay, yes, we have a trope, but what is that trope a stand-in for? And how can we create space for other representations, maybe in exactly. proximity to it and also divergent from it? Right. And I think, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's really disappointing too, because in a universe where there's wizards and technology and there's all of these like, incredible things happening like there isn't a gender non-binary alien anything like at all like there's anything could happen except for that it's we we have seen a human and an alien make out in these in the mcu but two men nah we can't do it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's move into how society is reflected within the mcu um Obviously, watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier now, um, it, it, it was a little, it was a little difficult with, um, you know, like the world of vaccines and everything. Zeta, I know this was a, a topic you wanted to discuss. What, what, what did you find with that? I just thought it was. I mean, I, that, I think that that show is one of the best entries into the MCU period out of anything. I mean, it's just so well done. The political commentary, the social commentary, um, the commentary of, of what it would really mean down on the, the real world level of having superheroes and what would that would do to people and seeing the ramifications. Again, I, I, I really love to see the, the history of of these things, not just like the big two bad, the guy, good guy and bad guy fighting it out in the sky, but like the people on the ground as well. And that's always very interesting to me. Um, but it was just like the way that they, um, they flawlessly, in my opinion, flawlessly um, inserted the, uh, a racial um, storyline like a very poignant, like on a uh, current and did it with such finesse and did it in a way that just like, if you didn't feel something watching that, um, if you didn't feel, I mean, I felt something watching that um, as a, a white cis male. Um, it was like, it just, I think it really just did a great service in, in a lot of ways. Um, 
And I have, I mean, you know, we're talking about why we don't see queer characters, why don't we see enough characters of color? And yes, that's still an issue and problematic, but you have to give it to, to um, Marvel that they, with something like this, I think that they really nailed it, that um, hit the nail on the head. I, I do like how, um, I think it is a, a good, ref like, you know, we talk about the problems with the MCU, but they are bold enough to like make these choices, um, which I don't, most like big budget studios are just not gonna make. Um, I think like, I don't know. I just think that it, um, it is interesting that they're they're going there. Um, I think I appreciate that, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's one of the benefits of having the Disney Plus shows is they have enough time and enough space and to one, let this, to let it breathe and then to also tell the story. Um, like in WandaVision, not only did we, well, we, it was a big therapy session for her, right? It was all about mental health. And so we got, you know, a viewpoint on that. Um, and then uh, like Zeta, like you were talking about with Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, we got a whole viewpoint on race in America and in the world and how it views um, superheroes, um, grouping people together. Um, and a little bit less so I would say in Loki, um, but, but yeah, I don't think we've gotten any type of like commentary that deep in any of the cinematic movies. Um, probably the closest thing is maybe um, the trauma that Tony Stark had after seeing everyone die. And we got to see little bits of that played over like movie over movie over movie, but, um, but yeah. I think, I think the, the first time we're gonna get to see it in the MCU is when they do finally bring in the mutants because obviously with the X-Men, uh, there, there was definitely that social commentary there. And they banged that home every single fucking movie. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how Kevin Feige introduces it here through this new perspective in um, the 21st century. One thing um, that I am worried about, though, to use the example of the X-Men, is that I feel like I don't, we're past going, we're past these two binaries of either mm -hmm. complete, complete assimilation into a culture or community that you are antagonized by or complete separation from. Um, and I would even venture to say that we haven't had enough of the latter, we've had a lot of the former. And so I think Falcon Winter Soldier, while it did provide some interesting political commentary, I think it still was a commercial entity. And so the uh, answer to some of the questions they were asking was, okay, you have to assimilate into or be included into an existing political project or you have to figure out a way to make yourself palatable or change is slow and change builds differently than what radicalism can possibly help to catalyze. So I'm like, I, I get what y'all are doing. And then also I want more because now that you've shown me you can do more, let's then have a conversation about the limitations, I think of a political view that feels very much the fantasy of those who have power and not necessarily about the liberation of those that don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like with, I, I mean, yes, and I completely see your, yes, I agree with that a, a lot. What I was saying is simply that, um, yeah, uh, now we should, we do need to see more. We should, after, you know, uh, Black Panther, after Falcon Winter Soldier, we should see more and it should become a, a, become a, a, a 
come a point in time, like with queer culture, that it it, it just is what it is. It's just, there's a lot of different types of people in the world. There's a lot of different races, a lot of different genders. And that being side by side and all together in one is, is not unusual or different or cause for like, oh my God, they did something groundbreaking. Like we're not, we're not there yet and it's too bad. Um, I'm glad that this went in that way. And, and looking at it a little bit, like I think of my family, my family is, um, I mean, my family are like obviously good people and they're not racist, but they're, you know, a suburban family, middle-class family who does not, um, doesn't quite get it. You know, I was wearing a, a Black Lives Matter t-shirt and my mom goes, well, you know, my life matters too. Uh, she doesn't mean that to be racist. She just doesn't get what the messaging is. And I, I, I hope that something like, um, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which can take the, these issues and de and, and kind of really open them up and see like the, it was like the heartbreak. It was so heartbreaking to see, um, Anthony Mackie's like his, he's a superhero and they won't give him a bank loan and it, it, it partially, oh, cause he doesn't actually have credit or whatever, but also because he's black, you know, and there's so many moments in that with that, that I think because it's, uh, it's superheroes and it's mainstream and it's, it's mostly white. I, I hope that there's people in this world who are watching that, who don't quite get it yet and can see that and be like, wow, this is like, this is really messed up and really understand, like, understand it. I mean, hopefully that that's not people's only source of education, of course. Um, but I was, it, it was, it, it was nice to watch that and hopefully see that that's the direction that we can be going in. And yes, now want more and expect more. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah Bradley is a really good, like mainstream sort of jumping off point. Um, but I feel like, you know, people need a friend to be like, Hey, you know, that this is like actually based on something that happened. Like, it's not just fake, like, you know, it's not bullshit. Like this really happened. So like it's there and people can absorb it and see it, but I'm, I mean, you have to like put the effort into going deeper into it, but I do appreciate it. It's just like, it's, it sparks, it does spark things in a mainstream. It is like the biggest mainstream cinematic movie thing ever. So um, I just, you know, it's, it's a good jumping off point. I mean, look what um, Watchmen, the HBO series Watchmen did for mm -hmm. the riots, right? But oh I gosh. think so that's a bad- Or Lovecraft Country. That's a bad, also bad, a good example for this particular conversation because what they did, I think is vastly different than what Disney did by just having Anthony Mackie soliloquy for seven minutes. No, yeah. Uh, and I feel like <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. that's where yeah, I'm kind of getting at. I agree at, with that. Is, I agree with that for sure. I, it's always a question of who is this for? Is it for a dominant society or dominant culture to feel bad? Or is it to reflect the harsh experiences of those who have less power? So it's just, right. it's a question of who, who is this for? And them making a claim in that and then owning up to it. What, may, may I ask what you felt, what you felt like it was? Like speaking of Aunt, like his, uh, his soliloquy, which was great, but did get a little like, okay, all right, <laughs> I gotta go pee. Um, what, may I ask what you did think of, what you did think of it and like who you felt like it was for? Uh, I thought it was, overall, I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought that the best thing about the Disney Plus series that it, it really 
can be something for everybody. And so everyone has their entry point into the MCU and the Falcon and Winter Soldier can be both a way to grab an audience that was like the old boys club who also maybe grew up with these comics and to do that and also do the political work that it was doing, fantastic. And I also think that that's who they were doing it for and not necessarily doing it for people that looks like me. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm fine with that, just don't, don't feign. And also if you truly think that you're getting feedback like this, maybe then think about, okay, why was the impact that and not why I intended it to be? Gotcha. Well, you know, I, it's, uh, and um, I mean, if you go back with like the Captain America movie, it, there's a lot of there. I mean, it is revisionist history. There's a lot of revisionist history happening in the MCU, how there was an integrated army and that was not a thing uh, that was happening then. Um, and I also think like when we talk about the one and done villains, is like racism going to be the one and done villain of Captain America, like Ca F Falcon right. and the Winter Soldier? And then like, yeah, that doesn't matter anymore. Like, uh, we don't really know about that. Like, we'll see. We'll see. So there have been 20 different directors that have taken on the MCU movies. Any of them stick out as you, some of your favorites? Some of them stick out for lesser good reasons? Who, who have you enjoyed seeing their creation? Taika Waititi? I'll just say that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Taika Ryan Coogler, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, James Watts for uh, the Spider-Man Now. Mm-hmm. The um, Russo brothers, because I think that they were able to, well, I mean, Joss Whedon did it well, um, but Russo brothers were able to take it to the next, to the next level of how to bring all this together and really create this like cohesive, super intricate, like crossover, like, I mean, just the, the logistics of that and like the you know you think of like the like the pins on the wall with the yarn and like the craziness of all that and the how, how you like that's just that takes some real real skill I think so are there any directors out there that you want to see take on a Marvel movie uh well three come to mind uh Ava DuVernay um, uh -huh, and uh -huh. now that she's not you know contracted by the other girl she might be able to come home to the mouse um, what is, oh my gosh, um, Moonlight, uh, his name is escaping me. Barry, um, Barry Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to see Barry Jenkins particular, like just also the way that his cinematography always looks fantastic on black and brown skin. Yes. I also want to see that in a sci-fi kind of fantasy setting. Um, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, Okay. I am intrigued to see what she would do with like her, her take and her ability to take books and turn them into movies. I want to see what she can do with dialogue in that way and then turn the dialogue into action. So I'm intrigued to see what that will look like. I don't know what character it would be. I don't know who it would be for, but I don't know why, but I would like to see a perfectly symmetrical, beautiful Wes Anderson MCU movie. Yes. Like I would just get high and watch it. It'll be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It wouldn't fit with anything else, but it'll be really cool to watch. Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, Tim Burton, that would be wild. I mean, that's that's just that that that's that's just so Batman awesome. again. <laughs> they could find a way. 
they could, which was the best Batmans ever. Um, if they could find a way to have that aesthetic work, that would be. If they and then if they do a rated R um, thing, uh, like more rated R, um, I would like to see Quentin Tarantino because mm. he's so able to take so many like kind of seemingly disjointed stories and characters and put them together into like one crazy epic thing. That I think that that would be. I think his would be real. That would be really interesting. Listen, they're they're gonna have to make Deadpool three rated R, otherwise. Ryan Reynolds is not going to be happy. So yeah. um, they're going to have to start exploring what a rated R uh, MCU movie looks like soon. I mean, Edgar Wright would be, well, because you know about Ant-Man, mm. but like yeah. it's that discussion of like having, you know, Tim Burton or any director that, ha or Wes Anderson, it's just like, they're just not going to let them That's do fair. what they want to do. Fair. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think David Fincher would make uh, an insane <laughs> just like i don't know like I'm just trying to think of like just this darkest mcu thing possible um i don't know well if we get wolverine i'm sure someone can make it a super dark crazy movie yeah mm -hmm. maybe for like the end of a phase a christopher nolan type movie mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. well speaking of end of movie things um how did the mcu change the landscape of the post credit scene Like, whoever thought, yes, let me sit in my seat until the lights actually come up and watch five minutes of names scrolling through. It's funny because I guess reflecting on, and maybe this is hindsight is not, well, I guess hindsight can be 2020 or maybe like it's just the future present, sorry, looking back at the past. That's so much fun to say. Um, they kind of needed to do a post-credit scene because they had to yeah. show that this is not just like a one and done movie. Actually, you should be coming back for more of this. It wasn't, I don't think, a decision made out of like, oh, ooh, I wonder if we could look <laughs> It was like a practicality also to it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't I mean, know. Like, God. That's okay. That's super good. I do like, though, how they've kind of gone in the direction sometimes of just saying, like, Spider-Man will return. And so and yeah. so is having a whole little, you know, short scene that they're showing. Well, let's move into the future of the MCU a little bit and the, the things we may or may not know. Obviously, the first um, couple phases, it, it was the Thanos world. Now we're getting to Kang the Conqueror and um, he go fuck a lot of shit up, isn't he? Yes. Because yeah. he overlaps in a lot of um, different worlds. Um, are you excited by the multiverse? Or are you like me and you're like, well, everything we just saw doesn't matter anymore. I think I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for it, except for, except for, I mean, who knows? I mean, this is the next like 10 plus years worth of filmmaking, right? Um, but I also wonder if it's too big too soon because like after this, where do you go from there, right? And maybe there's, there maybe there's, well, there's a lot bigger interdimensional, like, you know, something bigger, which was really cool when, you know, like in Loki, when he was like, oh my God, there's something even more powerful than Thanos and the Infinity Stones. Like that was pretty rad, but also it could, it could get too big, too much, too fast. 
And I, 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 I personally still want to see some of the other smaller stories being told and some of the smaller things. Um, you know, we went from Loki, which Loki in the first Avengers film, which was, which was great and did well and everything. And the stakes were high, but it was just like, like, there's so many, there's so many characters. Let me say this. There's so many characters that have this massive power set that we would like to see. Um, I worry that this is like jumping way far ahead of them. Like, you know, hopefully we get, hopefully we get apocalypse done right. Hopefully we get dark Phoenix done right. Um, but there's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Right. But there's so, there's so many, there's so many um, villains yet that in struggles that I would, you know, we haven't just, we haven't done gone, been in space for too, too long. And now we're in multiverse area. So I I don't know if that makes sense. What I'm saying. I just (laughs) like, they could, maybe they could pump the brakes a little bit. It's getting a little like it's getting Yeah, I mean, especially because they are introducing a lot of new um storylines with um Shang Li and with the Eternals. And I mean, they haven't been cast yet, but we are getting a Fantastic Four movie. Um, and that's gonna break so many things open. But Kang is still there too, so I'm mm-hmm. fairly certain he'll yeah. be the villain. I mean, um, what they've done so far is great, and I, I and I yeah. love the way they they've they've introduced it um but you know who knows i'm sure the i mean obviously we know that deadpool is going to be coming into the mcu now um x-men at some point will be introduced um but for me i think what i'm what i'm most excited about is the new avengers um and how that is going to play out because we have seen most of the new avengers already um, some of them have officially been cast, some of them not. So I want to go through a little bit of that. Um, Eli Bradley, the Patriot, is has appeared in the Winter in Falcon and the Winter Soldier as Isaiah Bradley's grandson, but not named. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie Lang, uh, stature, appeared in Ant Man and Ant Man of the Wasp. Uh, Billy Maximoff, Wiccan, is created by Wanda during the events of WandaVision. Tommy Maximoff, Speed, created it by Wanda during the events of WandaVision. Kid Loki, a version of Kid Loki, appeared in Loki. Vision, created by Wanda during the events of WandaVision. That's just still another character that's more, more confusing than anything. Um, America Chavez, Miss America, will appear in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Nathaniel Richards, Iron Lad, will ha- uh, appeared in Loki and will appear in Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. And Kate Bishop Hawkeye will appear in Hawkeye. So we have the makings of the new Avengers. Does this officially mean they're getting a movie together? <laughs> I don't think they're ready. I think that the uh, audience they want to bring in has, going back to our, our kind of more political kind of topic, has a different set of social politics that I think they may not know how to quite engage with to bring them into the theater with all right. the talent that they have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, Marvel has been good, really good with like dropping dropping in and then letting it simmer for a while before they bring things to life and then sometimes dropping things in and then they don't come, they don't ever come to fruition and you're like you know that it wasn't they were never intended on it um hopefully hopefully um ho- i mean it'd be cool to see that eventually see that eventually but again like 
there's still so many stories to be told and so many other things that we're like super excited for that it's like you don't want to do too much yeah. too fast well, what marvel does well is they give you the pieces that they will then decide if they're gonna right, fill in later right. Uh Um, because again when you have an actress like Haley Seinfeld um, playing Kate Bishop the new Hawkeye you want to keep her around for a while so you can put her in a movie cast rather larger names yeah yeah and what were you saying if they're going to introduce the X-Men and they're introducing the the Young Avengers like that's two huge teams Uh uh-huh how are you going to balance those yeah I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's just not enough space for them to do both right now. I think. You know yeah. something that's that's that I a big question. I mean, we could we could talk for hours about but about the plot holes of of all the MCU. But like, perfect example of what we're saying about like getting too big too soon and like just getting it all in there because that's it's by not make the most money you can. It's like if Thanos snapped half of the half of the universe away where's the other half the universe is really pissed the fuck off at him right like i mean he only had like the avengers and guardians of the galaxy and the ravengers and the wakandans fighting him but like half of the universe has got some questions for this guy and i'm sure there's a lot of people who know you know who who know where he is and what what went down maybe not everybody so like that like and of course we're never going to get an answer to that question right that's just something they didn't choose to go with but um there's big there's big implications for things um that we still haven't even touched you know i mean we we've had some of the um you know we've had uh some of the um not eternals the um like Benicio del Toro's, like the collector and the grandmaster. Oh, we've um, Celestial. The Celestials mm-hmm. have been introduced nowhere. Um, ego. And there's all this, you know, if if we were looking at at Kang the Conqueror, current Conqueror being essentially the most powerful thing, and that Thanos was the most powerful thing. Well, what what else was super powerful out there? These weren't the only two super like you know, ego was essentially much more powerful in a lot of ways. The point of the story is, is like, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of meat that still could be worked with. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to have the X-Men and <laughs> that's huge. Well, the X-Men, that's why I'm, I'm hoping it will be a great exercise and them trying to counter the too big, too fast problem with okay, let's take a bit, see what even the flavor is of this stew that we're trying to cook, uh, and then decide to add in, why, I don't even cook, why am I adding in cooking metaphors? Uh, <laughs> before we decide to throw the X-Men into, in, into the stew. Um, and that's why I'm really excited about what they're doing with TV, because hopefully that will at the right. very least slow the engine down a bit. Yeah, and be able to break some things down and talk about them a yes. little bit more yeah. and, and give us more of that canon that makes this stuff so fun and interesting is is the canon and is, is the history um to, um just real quick side note i know that everybody like you always know, see like oh the 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 multiverse multiverse perfect way to introduce the the x-men but i don't know if you remember when when they're in in end uh, game there's a, a moment where or a scene where rocket's saying um they can track trace 
where Thanos snapped his fingers because of the ex excess amount of gamma radiation. That's how they're able to find him um, in his garden. Right. And I, I don't know. I, I, I heard from that. I heard that, that um, because earth had three snaps done on it, there was an excess amount of gamma radiation bombarding earth. And in my opinion, that's how we're going to get the X-Men is that that's, what's unlocking the mutant genes, not, they're just popping in from a, another universe, which hopefully mm -hmm. they're just not all of a sudden all of them are here because that won't be as interesting as they're starting to evolve as we speak. And this is new. And then hopefully we'll, new ways we'll of see. seeing, seeing, you know, like Magneto, you can't do Ma Magneto as surviving a concentration camp. I mean, maybe they could, but like at this point, Hopefully we'll get new stories. I mean, I hope that Magneto and, and, and Professor X are gay lovers that then have a falling out. I mean, that's my hope. But. Did they already? Who knows? Well, speaking of TV, um, obviously we had three series already released. WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki. The ones that are upcoming are Hawkeye, Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Armor Wars. Any of them excite you more than the others? I'm excited for She-Hulk mostly because I love Jamila Jamil and she's going to be a villain and I think that's excellent casting. Uh, Moon Knight uh, to Moon some Knight degree. For, for Oscar Isaac. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Also Ironheart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, isn't Moon Knight isn't Moon Knight the isn't Moon Knight Wanda's kid, the gay kid of Wanda's one kid is gay, right? In the comics, that's looking, yeah, yes. mm -hmm. looking. And then isn't Moon Knight his his boyfriend? Or am mm -hmm. I wrong? That's a no, Hulk, hulking, hulking. Oh, yeah, okay. can't wait for that one. Secret Invasion should also be interesting for like the reasons why uh, the multiverse is also very interesting, I think. Yeah. Uh, and to see the scroll come back. So that should be fun. Uh, and then I Am Groot should just be the most lovely thing. On I don't Earth. even know if it's going to be canon, but I'll take it. I'll watch it. It reminds me it's of like Christmas Summer Camp special. Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Well, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special is just going to be a thing that happens. It doesn't affect anything. We're just going to watch it and enjoy it. If, if it does affect things, I don't, I don't know. I want everyone to have a Christmas special. But if you love the MCU, you know you can go experience the MCU out in the world because they exist at some Disney parks. Um, the Avengers Campus has just opened at Disney California Adventure and will soon be opening at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris and Hong Kong Disneyland. Some of the fun rides you can experience are Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, which is basically um, a layover of uh, Tower of Terror. Uh, Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure. Uh, Avengers Quinjet Experience, which we don't exactly know what it is yet. Um, there's going to be an Iron Man retheme of the rock and roller coaster at the Walt Disney Studios Paris. And there is Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle at Hong Kong Disneyland. Are any of you theme park aficionados like I am and can't wait to just see the animatronic Spider-Man leap from the building? Like, if you've seen the video, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I've not seen seen or cupped up with any of, any of it. Um, I would. I, oh. My only criticism is of Disney World or Disney theme parks is their their 
reuse of the same rides, just like like the Guardians of the Galaxy one. I mean, I rode that, and it was way better when it was twi- twi- uh, t- Tower of Terror. Mm. Um, and it just get, it's like you're one of the biggest companies in the world, most advanced companies in the world, and you can't you can't come up with a new ride. You're just gonna recycle everything. It's just it really it really frustrates me, but. Mike has feelings. What's going on? What, 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 what's the internal monologue? I did not know that there's no more Tower of Terror that that took <laughs> Tower of Terror. <laughs> Only in Disneyland. Disney, Disney World has the regular Tower of Terror. But Disneyland, it's it's just rethemed with uh, um, the Guardians. And there's like this really cool rocket um, animatronic in the pre-show that like literally like, crawls across the top. It's really cute. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited. It's still I can do me. It still does the same thing as the same drops yeah. and everything like that. It's just now it's not does not have that like and, cool spooky theme. Which and each uh, each ride is a different uh, song, so it's a different each ride is a different um, uh, Drop. Uh, system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to Islands of Adventure, so I, I've you know I've, I've rode the Hulk roller coaster and mm-hmm. Spider Man ride there. Um, which is a whole nother mess. Universal and, yeah. and Disney Orlando, whole mess. Right. I mean, that's why I'm so excited for like the campus aspect of it, because hopefully mm-hmm. in addition to the ride, you have other ways of engaging with things that you've always wanted to touch and feel and experience yeah. uh, in real life. Like it's, I'm interested to see with the lessons from like a Harry Potter world that apply onto something like this, that is even more exciting than being a witch or wizard. Yeah. Um. I asked everyone, we'll see if anyone did it, but I, I, because I do a lot of drag content on the podcast, I asked everyone if they could like, come up with a MCU drag name. Um, and I gave my example and I'll share it to the, to the listeners now. Um, please welcome to the stage, Tesseract. <laughs> yeah. I know it's really bad, right? And I have a drag king name. It's still in the MC world, but uh, please welcome to the stage, Mark Scruffalo. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so did any of you come up with any MCU inspired drag names? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> long and hard. I think real quick. Scarlet Widow. I mean, I already said that, but you know, I always, <laughs> um, mine was, Black yeah. Kiddo. What? Black kiddo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then mine was Wakanda Woman. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I like that. Why, why does she not exist yet? I, I mean, you just made your drag debut, so you, you, you already got a name. Exactly. <laughs> I was also Did thinking, you, you know, drag queen, drag, drag king name is Captain Man or something. I just, whatever. Mm. <laughs> Captain Man, yeah, that works. Listen, I, I think it's fun. We'll keep on thinking. I know the other panel, I'm going to make sure they get some good names out there as well. But it's it's fun. It's, it's, it's fun to come up with stupid names like this. I, I feel like another one could be just like Merica. Merica? Yeah, America. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, so the next panel that I'm going to be doing is the Ultimate MCU Movie Showdown, where myself and the panel has ranked all 24 current movies. I will tell you right now, the bottom two basically unanimous where they are um the rest of it a lot of shakeups um i can proudly say that nine out of ten of my top ten made the top ten not in order but i i got it good i i got the got socially great 
what movie do you think took the top spot? Michael, you can start first. Um, I think the top spot is probably Thor Ragnarok, perhaps. Okay. Okay. I think that's just a really fun. Um, yeah. Zeta. Man, um, I would say Black Panther. Okay. Mike. Um, <laughs> that was my first and second choice, so I'm going <laughs> to. Um, I guess in game. Okay, and Nehemiah. Oh, um, 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 I'm trying to throw a wild card in here based on, you know what? Maybe they like death, Infinity War. All right, we are going to find out. I'm going to leave this secret up to uh, you guys listening to it, but it's going to be a fun podcast. We haven't recorded it yet. Um, but if any of the listeners remember me during the Ultimate Disney Song Showdown, um, there are things that I'm very passionate about. And that was the first time I ever yelled at a panelist when they said, <laughs> Tarzan wasn't a Disney movie, a Disney musical. I said, fuck you, get off my podcast. <laughs> that was a whole other story. But this was a long podcast, but I think we had some excellent conversations. And um, I think there's so much more we can discuss. And maybe we'll, we'll do a second part someday. But for now... Where can we find you each on social media and Venmo? And if you have any projects you want to plug for the audience. Nehemiah, we'll start with you this time. Uh, well, right now you can find me at Nehemiah pretty much on all platforms, but instead of in being N-E-H-E-M-I-A-H, it is N-E-H-E-M-I at sign H. Thank you, mom, for that. Uh, and then also look out for Zora Speakeasy on a stage near you in the upcoming months. Uh, I have my drag debut at Albatross on Saturday. I'm looking forward to living on stage sometime soon. Work. Um, Mike, uh, you can find me at, uh, at M-R-O-B-E-J-R on all platforms. Um, and nothing really to plug, but I do play a lot of D&D, so um, I might be you know, creating a space where I can DM a few games to, uh, for, you know, for people out there that want to maybe get started in it. So, nice. Yeah. Zeta? Um, I'm actually taking a social media break these days. Um, I, I, I have my accounts still, my Facebook and my Insta, but I don't have it on my phone anymore, so I'm rarely on them. Um, but it's at my Insta is at Zach Serafin and my drag Insta is at Zeta underscore 2K. And Michael. Um, my social, you can find me on Instagram at MW underscore con, C-O-N. Um, projects. Um, you can find me at Stonewall or duplex singing with one of the piano players or doing a story hour when that comes back. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Well, it was fun assembling you all here and thank you for chatting MCU with me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. The biggest thanks to my panel for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and leave us a review while you're there. 
If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block. That was Block Talk. 